I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. You know, in, in France, or at least in back then, it, it's a trade. I mean, yes, there are famous chefs and they're very well respected, but... You know, it's like going to be an electrician or a plumber or... Mm -hmm. So I'm with these 36 guys aged 15 to 21, and I'm 33. You know, if they said good morning to me, it was a good day. So it was hard. That is pastry chef Claudia Fleming on the early days of her career. Claudia, the original pastry chef of Gramercy Tavern, and today the proprietor of North Fork, Table and Inn, is out with a reissue of her classic recipe book, The Last Course, and she's our guest today on Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. And I'm not even going to say mystery guest, because last time I did this, we did this together, I said mystery guest, but your name was on the show. Yeah, so it's not much of so a mystery. So it wasn't much of a mystery. <laughs> Jeff Gordonier. 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 Yeah. I've been mispronouncing your name forever. So have I. I am sorry. I, actually, I can't be the only one who gets it no, wrong. No, constantly. I get this all the time. I, I think Ruth Reichel probably gets it all the time, too, actually. There's a yes. lot of people who have names that... Um, that the audience assumes they know how to pronounce the name, but in fact, um, it's different. It probably was, of course, Gordonier or or even Gardenier or something. Yes, long way back, but uh, by now it's been sort of New Jersey-fied into uh, Gordonier. My dad's family was from Jersey. Okay, so, so my and mnemonic device will be: it's near as in proximity, because you live near yeah. me. Yeah, that's good. And we you know, actually, we should say we're in your house today. We're in my in my house. Uh, you know, don't tell Lauren, my wife, because. <laughs> The book tour just ended yesterday. I've been on the road for five months, so the house is a mess. And um, fortunately, this is a podcast, not a TV show, so no one can see that we are actually in my daughter Margot's bedroom, and there are still boxes that we didn't unpack from our move here, and there's there's a heap of my tax stuff, um, my laptop. This is how most of us live, though, don't you think? Yeah, I think that writers <laughs> leave a trail of debris. Yes, yeah. You know, you and I are both traveling today, and I'm having this. I always go through this, uh, you know, crisis before I go away. Like, what if uh, something awful happens to me? And oh, wow. and I just think of yeah. the mess that's like, <laughs> the mess that's left behind <laughs> on left my chaos. desk. <laughs> Good luck picking through it, everyone. Oh, my Actually, if we did this podcast down in the basement, um, you would be. It, it's like the last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark with yeah. boxes just piled everywhere. Yes. Somebody recently came to me because they're making a documentary about David Bowie, and they had heard that I interviewed David Bowie twice, which I did when I was at Entertainment Weekly. And I have those interviews on cassettes, the mm. old-fashioned cassettes, somewhere in the basement. So they said, well, can you find them? And I said, no. <laughs> right. No way. I mean, it would it would take days. Yeah. I, you, there are hundreds of boxes downstairs with everything from the last 30 years of my life. Yeah. Even maybe probably from college. So I um 
I, I would love to be in the documentary, but unfortunately, it would I would not be able to locate yeah, these cassettes. Yeah, yeah, that's my attic. That's my <laughs> attic. In fact, the book I did last year, one of the people in the book had a, a precious DVD. Oh wow! Which they loaned me and wanted it back. They asked me a couple of years later if they could have it back. <laughs> I thought it was a copy. Oh, and I'm like, and I I actually did go through. Like oh, you turn it looked like you know in a movie when the cops you know turn over someone's apartment <laughs> or the mob one or the other, but it looked like I had turned over the place. <laughs> couldn't find it. I don't know. It's got to be. Still couldn't find it. No, but it has to be somewhere. I would never have thrown it out. Someday anyway, someday it will surface. I also, you know, I have four children, and last night was one of the nights when all four children are here. So I have you know mornings where it's just make breakfast for everybody, make school lunches, get yeah. the older kids to school. I drive them to school. Um, I, I'm wearing what I slept in. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, the idea that in the midst of the chaos of my life, deadlines and everything, that I would also go rummaging through the basement for a cassette yeah. is just absurd. Yes. It's not going to happen. Yes, and I think if we're all honest, this is how most of us, yeah. this is how it is behind, this, behind the curtain. Um, so you're going to help me introduce uh, Claudia Fleming in a minute, who's, oh. who's out with her reissue of yeah, the, the Last, last Course. course. And last I was... Course, yeah. Thrilled to be able to sit down with her. What um, an honor! She's. She, do you know her? No, not personally, but I mean, she's one of the one of the absolute greats in New York culinary history. Yeah, so. she's and and the most. You'll know what I mean by this. Genuinely modest oh. person. She is truly modest. Mm. Um, but we're we're here because you and I were in touch the other day. You're you're out with uh, the new class of Esquire's best new restaurants. Yeah. Now. Another reason why my life is a mess, because I spend months yes. on the road, literally 11 months on the road for this. And so I was touring for my book, Hungry, and that dovetailed with the Esquire research for Best New Restaurants, and of course, traveling for profiles and things like that. I've been on something like 80 planes, yeah, countless Acela trains. <laughs> I'm really wiped out. But I'm very proud of the list. I, I really think I've done now three Esquire lists. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the best one. This is the most solid one yeah. because I traveled the most for it. So I'm sure I missed some good places, but I was much more exhaustive than usual. Like I, I, I actually can't think of anything that I missed. Someone will come to me and tell me about something I missed, but so far I feel pretty confident. So there may have been other deserving restaurants, but you don't feel like there's a glaring omission. I mean, there might be something in South Dakota. right. And I didn't get there, and yeah. I, you know, and and word did not get to me yes. about that restaurant. Yes, um, there might be something in Oklahoma, and yeah. I just didn't get there. But um, in terms of the cities I did travel to, I can't think of many omissions. Yeah, and Good. I lost track of the cities. I, I mean, it, in some ways, it's like kind of the Acela train list this year because our number one restaurant, Seven Reasons, is in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And our chef of the year, Kwame Amuachi, is in Washington, D.C. as well. And we have very high-ranking restaurants in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and in Baltimore and, of course, in New York. So you could go up and down on the Acela train yeah. you know, and spend a wonderful long weekend visiting a bunch of these spots. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. The Esquire tour. Yeah, maybe we should do that. Actually, it'd be a good, <laughs> it'd be, it'd be you guys a good put that together. Uh, promotion. You got enough. Go, you got enough going on yeah, in your life. Yeah, don't tell the the biz side. So, uh, <laughs> I want to talk about some of the ones on this list, but you just—I I think it is interesting because um, 
I won't mention any others by name while you're on the air, but you know, there are other best of lists that come out during the course of a year. There's awards yeah. that come out during the year. What's the process? Like, do you put out, do you write to, do you send a mass email saying, Hey, it's that time of year? Um, oh no. Or, uh, I'm, you know, no, to friends, just, you know, Oh, to friends who um, should be on my radar, you know, do you, or is that like an open thing that friends know to tell you around the country? Like, mm. how do you, how do you do the legwork? <clears throat> That's a great question. It really comes down to reconnaissance, to this to this strategic scouting that obsesses me and takes up countless hours of my life because I don't want to be wrong. Like, I really want this to be a great reader service. And as much as possible, I want to honor good people and honor the best cooking I can find. But it's a big country, and we have a limited budget. This might come as a shock, yeah. but a print media does, is, does not in a position right now where there's just unlimited yeah. tens of thousands to spend on this. You know, yes. um, I usually outstrip the budget I'm given. I think Josh Ozersky, my predecessor, did as well. It's inevitable if you're doing the work. You want to go to three more cities. You want to... You know, one more trip, please. Baltimore, I hit almost at the very, very end because I just had a feeling I needed to. Um, and uh, so you, I, I do a lot of Googling, okay? Mm -hmm. I have a list already for 2020. I'm sure. You know, I'm yeah. that, I'm put, I just have this ongoing uh, file where I just put um, some suggestions in there. Like we didn't get around to Lamasan here in New York City, which is new. It was just opened a bit too late. Mm -hmm. So, you know... I'm already planning to go there, of course. So I'm just letting everyone know, I guess. But um, I do a lot of Googling. I read all the local critics, mm -hmm. um, whether, you know, in Seattle, in Charleston, all over the country. I um, read Eater. I read all the blogs. I follow what's happening on social media, of course. Mm -hmm. Instagram posts are oddly helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, But I do have scouts as well, you know, whether it's Phyllis Grant in the Bay Area, who's mm -hmm. uh, got a book coming out, is an amazing food blogger and writer. She's just got a great palate. She's a brilliant thinker and eater. Mm -hmm. I've eaten out at restaurants with her, and her observations are are spot on. So I trust her. Jason Tesaro, who writes for Esquire sometimes uh, in in Richmond, Virginia, but he travels around for wine events. Mm -hmm. So he's uh, you know these are unpaid scouts. They're yeah. traveling anyway. Sometimes they're they're actually many. And they're they're not on the payroll. They're not on our masthead. They're friends of mine whose whose instincts I trust. I mean, Jason Tesaro last year, he was going up to the Boston area, and he said, "Where should I eat?" And I said, "Can you check out this Peruvian place for me? It's called Celeste. Looks like Celeste, but mm -hmm. the, the pronunciation is Celeste. It's a um, it's owned by this couple, Juanma Calderon and his wife Maria." I've read some beautiful things about it. It just sounds very compelling to me. And he he went. And he was over the moon. Mm -hmm. He said it's more than a restaurant. It's an art project. Juan Ma is also a filmmaker. Maria is an architect. They have their own radio station playing all this rare Peruvian cumbia. The cooking is excellent, but it's about more than that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to hear. I want to hear more than just about the food. I feel like a restaurant is is an escape Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's it's a mode of theater. It's a performative thing. Like I, I want to be taken away. I want to be transported. Mm -hmm. I don't just want good food. So 
Um, I'm trying to send our readers to restaurants where I think they'll have that that experience, right? right. So, um, so of course, then I made the trip. I have to go. I don't just listen to uh, what these scouts tell me and and stop there. Then I make the trip yeah, right, and judge sure. for myself, yeah. of course. Um, so I was actually on a college tour last year with my daughter, Margot, whose room we're in right now. Yes, thank and, you, Margo. And we So we were up in the Boston area anyway. We went to Celeste together and um, uh, with my friend Justin, who's in the wine business, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and we were floored. I, I was just in love with it. I, I fell in love with it. And so it ended up being our number five last mm-hmm. year. That, but now we're talking about last year's list. But, you know, um, I listen a lot. I listen to people a lot. When I hit a town, uh, I, I try to be super humble and, and super aware, keep my um, channels open, mm-hmm. sort of, and, and listen to what people are telling me. Last year, again, we're talking about last year's list, but I went to a couple of restaurants, and I would ask the people who worked at the restaurants, the cooks, um, the the hospitality team, where do you like to eat? Mm, smart. Oh yeah. my god, that's yeah. where you hear the truth. They're like, yeah. I was like, you know, I know I'm eating here right now, but where do you like to eat? Oh, Nancy's Hustle. What? <laughs> Nancy's Hustle. It's where we all go after work. Yeah. And I was like, really interesting. Yeah, you bartend- know, so, bartenders can be good for that too. So why? Like they know what they're talking about. Yeah. So, um, I went to Nancy's Hustle, blown away. And it ended up being number three on my list last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll ne- I mean, incredible wine program, cocktail program, these these little corn cakes, Nancy cakes, they call mm-hmm. them, um, that I will never forget. It, to me, actually, the best new restaurants list boils down to two criteria. Do I want to go back? Like, do I actually long to go back? Mm-hmm. I want to go back to Nancy's Hustle. I want to go back to Celeste. And do I send my friends there? Mm-hmm. When people email me, uh, where should I eat in Boston? Where should I eat in Houston? Where do I send them? If I'm sending them to some place simply because of prestige um, or some sort of gesture culturally, uh, that's one thing. But where am I sending them that I'm like, well, actually... You well, so case in point, you got to hit Nancy's hustle. You case know, in point, I almost had to scrap. I almost She's, had to scrap this interview this morning because I have to travel all of a sudden to yeah. LA. And when I wrote to tell you that, you said I totally understand. And then the next sentence was, "You have to go to Bontem. You have which to is go on to your, Which is on your list this year? I think it's number three. It's number three. Yes. Yeah, so, which is Lincoln Carson's new restaurant in Los Angeles. But case in point, yeah. All you, all you had to tell me was you understood, but you felt compelled. To direct me to this restaurant. I'm I'm a little bit of a nudge in my life. Like it it appalls me and distresses me when friends of mine have mediocre meals. Mm-hmm. If they're traveling to Los Angeles where I grew up yeah. and they have a crappy meal, it, I I spiral into a depression. I mean, that's how personally I take it. Right. Yeah. And and um so yes, the list is out now and there's several Los Angeles places. There's Bon Tom, which Blew me away. You actually know Lincoln Carson from back in the day. Yeah. The, the guy is fifty years old and kind of just hitting his stride. It's as well, far you, as the you first guys also restaurant. named him your rising star <laughs> chef of the year, which which cracked me up because as you just said, I knew Lincoln 
when I was a, a miserable, unhappy restaurant PR person in the oh, 90s. Wow. wow. When he was the pastry chef at a place called Cascabel. Amazing. Which is currently the location of Michael White's restaurant, Osteria Marini, down on Lafayette Street. Oh. But that was one of Lincoln's first jobs as pastry chef in his own right. But he's been, as you say in your copy in the magazine, he's been kind of quietly toiling behind the scenes for people like <laughs> Michael Mina's restaurant group. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of very well-known people and companies. You know, when I've been in Los Angeles and elsewhere, there is so much respect out there for Lincoln Carson. Mm-hmm. His name came up constantly and often from much younger cooks and um, restaurateurs who were like, you know, who's somebody who just doesn't get enough props is Lincoln Carson. The mm-hmm. guy is absolutely brilliant. And, and that meant something to me. There seemed to be a lot of respect for him. And yeah, so I did, I chose him as Rising Star of the Year in a way to to combat ageism suddenly mm-hmm. and, and say, you know, a lot of these Rising Star prizes naturally go to people under 30, and that's cool. We should celebrate young Rising Stars, and, and I will, and I have in the past. Yeah. I just felt this year uh, I wanted to nod towards somebody who – is is farther along the road in life and and suddenly hitting his stride, but you know also the restaurant spoke for itself. It it it's open all day basically. The incredible pastries in the morning, um, this incredible like crudite and and martinis and um, I mean it's it it's called bon temps means good times yep. in French and it's in a way a kind of a pun. Because it's like, what's a good time mm. to go for good times? Like, you can go any time of the day to yeah. Bon Temps and have a good yeah. time. Yeah. Um, we also have um, Sushi Note. Uh, people think it's Note, but it's actually Note uh, because it's a reference to, like, musical notes. And um, the uh, Chef Saito at Sushi Note, um, that's in Sherman Oaks, California, mm-hmm. in the valley. Uh, he, his whole omakase thing is based on jazz. So, like, if you go in there, really lovely man, he'll, like, just start chatting with you. Mm-hmm. So, what flavors do you like? Oh, well, I think I'll steer this way then. Like, I went um, to Sushi Note with uh, Jessica Coslow, actually, from Squirrel and now Onda. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just – I like to bring along – you know, some critics don't like to dine with chefs. I actually enjoy it because I like to hear their insights. Um, and, and, obviously, they're – pretty skilled when it comes to flavor you know so i i wanted to see how jessica reacted to this and also it was a way to catch up with her and find yeah. out what she's doing um probably doesn't come as a shock that she likes pickled flavors and she likes strong flavors mm-hmm. so um chef saito listened to her and started steering our our sushi courses toward that mm. and i i thought that was cool that's very sensitive yeah and it's also yeah. very uh, it's much more affordable they have like a, a sushi happy hour I feel like um, the sushi thing, I, I joke sometimes with Pete Wells that it's like douchey sushi now. Like we are, we're gripped by these, you know, these horrible yeah. rich guys who, you know, like hedge fund guys who could be in an episode of Billions or Succession who you see at sushi bars all over the city and they're so loud. They're on their cell phones. They're um, making a scene you know and they're disturbing the rhythms of it and the and the vibe of it it really upsets me actually particularly when you're spending so much money don't ruin my experience yeah um so i picked a couple places um that do uh omakase or kaiseki in and kind of seem like a counterpoint to that like an escape from that sushi note is one in sherman oaks and the other is 
Odo, which I think is actually pronounced O-D-O in, in uh, like, uh, Chelsea, Flatiron area in New York. Um, and that's behind, that's very speakeasy, like, it's behind this unmarked door, mm-hmm. behind a bar yeah. um, called Hall, and you have to go through this bar. But I was blown away by that. Cool. So, yeah. I want to introduce Claudia in a second. We'll talk about a couple more in the mid-show break. But I do want to ask you also, I was struck, and you actually mentioned it in one of them, Pizzeria Badia Badia, in Philly and Resdora here in New York. Um, You know, you you say there's so many, you say in your copy in the piece, there's so many Italian restaurants. Yeah. And it's like a little overwhelming and exhausting at some point. So given that, I am curious, and the, the same is true specifically of Pizza restaurants. You know, yeah. there are all these artisanal pizza restaurants. Some of them I happen to love. I made my first visit to uh, Pizzana in Brentwood. Pizzana is very which is, good. Uh, pretty amazing. It's very um, good. And I, you know, and yeah. and uh, uh, we've had Dan Richer from um, uh, uh, Raza from Raza on the yeah. show. And anyway, but I'm curious to know what about these two places broke through the static of so many Italian restaurants that you. You know, again, this is precious real estate, right? I think you have 21 entries. There is one tie yeah. on the list. So, you you know, you found a way to squeeze a little extra in. But still, that's less than one per state, right, if you, yeah. if you average it out. How did these two earn their, their real estate on your list? That's a really good question. I am uh, in the midst of, throughout the year, I'm, I'm bombarded by, you know, publicists and, and also eaters around the country who are telling me to come to various cities and they'll then I'll say, well, what are the restaurants I would hit theoretically if I went to that city? And they'll send me a list. Let me tell you, Andrew, it's always Italian restaurants. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, we have burrata and we have a uh, wood fired pizza <laughs> and we have a uh, spaghetti with uni. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Probably not making the trip because that's just not interesting enough right now. And that sounds snotty i apologize but i have a limited budget and i can't travel all the way across the country to just get more burrata like you got to give me something more than that yeah um i love italian food who doesn't but you got to be telling a story or um there has to be a point of view it's just like film you know like there's certain films you see oh well that's a quentin tarantino movie that's a wes anderson Mm -hmm. you can just tell the filmmaker's vision and voice that that perspective is apparent, and so with um, Pizzeria Badia, it's this, it's that, it's Joe Badia's like complete geeking out over pizza. Like you can feel his um, philosophy, his orthodoxy. Like he 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 um, he likes a harder crust on it, so it's not like the floppy uh, Neapolitan style pizza. It is much more an American style mm-hmm. pizza. And, and intentionally so. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes rather traditional toppings, sometimes curveballs like peaches and garlic cream. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that he owns that. And mm-hmm. it, like, by the way, I mean, it's crazy delicious. But I also like that he was like, no, this is how I do pizza. This is how, where I'm coming from. This restaurant also has a private dining room. So many restaurants have a private dining room. Big deal. This one, you go in, there's only six people and they serve artisanal hoagies now that to me is the coolest idea i heard all year Mm -hmm. you go in there with a bunch of friends you get magnums of wine and you get these hoagies you know like but don't they also am i misremembering don't they also have a hoagie omakase that's what it is it's in that room 
Yeah. Yeah, so you don't get that in the normal part of the restaurant. You have to go in the private room. Right, but omakase suggests something even more than just artisanal hoagies. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, it's it's a whole, like, <laughs> rollout of all yeah. these delicious yeah. hoagies. Yeah. You know, and, and to me, that is a story. That's like telling the story of Philadelphia. They're not trying to do something pretentious. So you don't go in there and get little tasting menu bites. You get something that reflects the spirit of this, you know, bustling, brawling kind of mid-Atlantic city, Philadelphia. It's just a very specific personality. Totally. I love Philadelphia. I think it's mo- that in Los Angeles for big cities are the most exciting food scenes in the country right now. And I'm going to Philadelphia this afternoon, actually, and I'm very excited. I'm going to one of Greg Vernick's new places, his seafood place. Mm-hmm. But like, you can go to Philadelphia and spend a whole week and not repeat a meal and have exceptional meals. You yeah. know, Zahav, you go to Serpico, you go to Soraya, you can go to Pizzeria Badia, you can go to The Love. The Stephen Starr restaurants are actually very high quality. I mean, it's a great city. So, um, you know, he really stands out. It's also just a fun room. It's casual. Uh, the great natural wine program. Um, pizza, we all like pizza, but it's like, yeah, you all like pizza, but I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, There's a little bit of Frank Sinatra. I'm going to do it my way, and I like that. Uh, Resdora, look, this is interesting because this might, I mean, I didn't go look at the history, but it might be possible that the Esquire Best New Restaurants list has always included a New York restaurant in the top five for almost 40 years. You would have to think. This year, we don't. There's no New York restaurant in our top five. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a little bit of a reason for that. Um, I feel like a lot of the creativity in cuisine around America is, is migrating to other cities. Mm-hmm. You know, There's incredible food in New York. We all know that. But it is really expensive mm-hmm. to run a restaurant. And as a result, it's very difficult to take risks and do something you know, very autobiographical and personal. Um, Restora is, is, comes very close and is absolutely... You know, look, I, I write about how I basically turned into Meg Ryan in that scene when Harry <laughs> right. met Sally. Yes. I was with my friend Bear. We call him Bear, Jeff Sandberg, old old friend of mine. And I was like, you know, embarrassing myself with effusions. I was like, oh my God, oh my yeah. God, oh my God. Like they had, they had, they have a five course pasta tasting. Mm-hmm. And it is just like being hit by wave after wave of euphoria. The thing that happened at Rizdora for me was just sheer pleasure. Like I, I didn't actually love the room. It's somewhat cramped, and um, yeah, the, the the hospitality is terrific. But I, I mean, it's not like the kind of room like P- Pizzeria Badia or uh, Bon Temps where I, I love the space. Um, it's I, one of these restaurants that you're kind of reminded of your first New York City apartment. Like, oh they, wow, that's great. Well, yeah. I feel like a lot yeah. of times restaurants, in certain, even if you if you don't see it in the front of the house kitchens, like they're making do with the space that they were able to put their hands on. Yeah, you know, that's right. And it it they've done a very good job, a very charming job of that. But it is a very it is it's a small space. My elbows were yeah. actually touching the elbows yes. of the people. Next yes, to it's me, a you small know? space. And and bear who I went with my old friend. I mean, he's called Bear for a reason. He's a he's a tall guy. He's yeah. he's a, he's large. And so um you know, we were we felt like we were squeezed into airplane seats almost. That said, I would go back in an instant. My son Toby, my 13-year-old son, actually was looking at Instagram pictures of Restora uh this morning. 
And he was like, Daddy, can we go here? I really want this pasta. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like I could make I've that I've trained happen. you well, my son. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, it, so that was just, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an homage to Emilio Romana. Um, so it has a perspective. Again, yes. point of view. Yeah. Point of view. Ownership of um, a narrative. It's not like, yeah, we're pasta. We're from all over Italy. No, it's from a specific region, which, you know, Italy, Mexico, China, I mean, some of the great cuisines in the world, it's all about regions. And the yeah. regions are super different from village to village, from region to region. The, the, the recipes are completely different. So you can't just do pan Italian food. Sure. You know, Venetian food, totally different than Neapolitan food. So I love that they zero in on Emilia Romana and then then really nail those flavors and textures. Yeah. Um, and we should say that you had you talked about the pasta tasting, but it is not that is not your only option. You can order a la carte there. Yeah, you can order. Yeah, I, I there, actually, there I think, are other there are non pasta. You can get a salad and yeah, the, the you salad. Can get your great. favorite uh, burrata. <laughs> I didn't get the burrata. I can't do it anymore. But they start with these things with frito. Yeah. I think yeah, no, they, no, yeah. yoko frito, which yes. are like basically these fried puffs of dough with mortadella on top. Yeah. Uh, prosciutto It's like on a top. specially of a, it's an Emilia Romagnan thing. I mean, that was, yeah. what a great way to start. I yeah. mean, that's the other thing. It's like, man, you give me like puffy fried dough with mortadella on top, I'm good to go. Like, you have won my love, you know? <laughs> like, like, it was just, you, 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 one thing I like about that restaurant, it's very user-friendly. You can come in, order that, yeah. and a salad, then the pastas, and you're, you're just so happy. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's not like an abundance of choices. It's just what you need. Yeah. I should say, for anyone listening who wants to go there, plan ahead. It is not an easy table no. to procure. So No, tr- it's it's pretty tight. Work yeah. early to get that table. Okay, Jeff, we both have to travel today. I'm gonna let's shift gears. I'm gonna introduce okay. uh Claudia Fleming uh, a, as you're doing a little genuflecting. As you as you said when I first mentioned her name, Claudia is uh has to be one of the most important pastry chefs in the in the recent history of New York City dining by recent I mean the last several decades. Um she well first of all a lot of people probably don't know this about her. Start we talk about all this in the interview but started off in the front of the house at, mm. and and she has one of these biographies like someone like Jonathan Waxman, like someone mm. like Tom Colicchio. She was in a lot of uh, the most important restaurants yeah. in the, an American history. She yeah. she was at Jams, uh, Jonathan Re- uh, Waxman's seminal New York City restaurant, and actually starting in the front of the house. Mm. She was at Union Square Cafe. She was at Tribeca Grill. Mm. And then eventually where she became known was as the opening pastry chef of Gramercy Tavern, um, where she didn't just become known, she really became a legend. I mean, there's a chocolate tart that she did that's still famous. Michael Lasconis was on the show last week. He talked about that, and he also talked about her coconut tapioca mm. dish, which she herself names in this interview is what she thinks is one of her more important signature offerings. But when I mention her, you wh- why the reaction you had? For that reason, do you describe? I mean, I think that you know there are certain people that we ought to celebrate. When they're in our midst, you know, I remember talking to Brooks Headley from Superiority Burger, uh, formerly of Del Posto. Formerly pastry chef of Del Posto. Yeah, Yeah. James Beard, award-winning pastry chef. And uh, I interviewed him for a piece in the New York Times, and I mentioned Claudia Fleming, and the guy actually got tears in his eyes. Yeah, he actually blurbs the... So the the 
it wasn't originally the occasion for the interview, but it ends up that the interview is dropping about a week after the reissue of her classic cookbook, The yeah. Last Course, which she wrote with Melissa Clark back when Melissa was just starting out. Amazing. Um, that was just reissued about a week ago. Um, I need to fess up. This interview started at Claudia's business, which is the North Fork Table and Inn out in Long Island. Uh, it is an inn, as the name suggests, and a restaurant. Uh, I also need to say that Claudia started that in with her late husband, Jerry Hayden, who was a very well-known, well-respected chef in his own right. Jerry had been uh, started off at Oriole under Charlie Palmer. They were at Tribeca Grill together. He had a place called Amuse. They fell in love, got married, moved out to Long Island and opened this business. Um, I did not want to drag Claudia through what happened uh, a couple of years ago, which is that Jerry um, was sick with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, um, passed away a few years back. Uh, Claudia's, some of you may have read a piece recently in the New York Times. She's she's doing great. She still runs the end. She still makes breakfast there personally every day. Um, and she's out with this new book. But she's, um, I think you're going to love her. She's just the most modest, self-effacing mm. person. Uh, and I have to say also for uh, once in a while I do hear from, or not so much anymore because you guys corrected me, I, I do sometimes tend to talk a lot in these interviews, especially when it covers this period of history that Claudia kind of overlaps with. Um, but you, you'll hear in the beginning of the interview, Claudia was a little nervous. We talk about it, about doing the interview. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I think it was warranted in this case because I think it helped uh, spark some uh, memories and observations from Claudia. But for anyone who has pointed that out in the past, I just want to say, um, I, I think it was I think it was in order here. But I, I think you're going to really enjoy Claudia. And I have to say, the interview started at the North Fork Table and Inn. We ran out of time <laughs> because we spent a, some time reminiscing when I first got there. Um, so the interview actually concluded a couple of weeks ago uh, in the office of her publicist, Helen Petrakis, in New York City. Um, I did edit it so that that's not apparent, but I do want to let you guys know that that's how it went down. Anyway, with that, here you go. My interview with Chef Claudia Fleming of the North Fork Table and Inn and author of the newly reissued The Last Course. Here you go. So, well, can I just talk about this? I'm going to talk about this. You're a little nervous about the interview. I'm a little nervous. Okay. Why are you nervous? I don't know. I have references. Good, good. You know me. Yes, yes, I do. We have mutual friends. Very accomplished. Yes, we do. Okay. You used to be a dancer. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're not... You've been on... another life. You're used to being on stage or it's in some fashion. Yeah, it's true, but it it was always dark. Like you could not see the people that were perceiving you. Um, And you weren't talking. And you weren't talking. You were pretending. We're going to start slow. I'll go first. I just drove out here. Nice drive. Oh, my God. I feel like I had a vacation. It's beautiful. First of all, it's a Monday. Mm -hmm. It's early June. Schools are not out yet in New York. There's farm stands set up for business on a weekday. Yeah. Um, We're ready to go here. Oh, but I mean, yeah. Come on on out. On a weekday. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. There's all these cute little... You know, uh, vineyards and and uh, they're setting up a a strawberry festival. Which whatever you can get, there's there's you don't need the festival. There's a strawberry stand, yeah. but a carnival out. I love a carnival out here. A carnival, it's yeah. Cinematic out here. It is. No, it's no, incredibly but it, charming. But the carnival and thing, quaint and yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. And you just come out here and you're just like, with every 10 miles on the highway, you just feel stuff. You're just leaving the city behind. It really does feel like Mayberry sometimes. They actually have Memorial Day parades and Fourth of July parades when people just walk up the street. Right. And if you're not. Kids are on their bicycles. It's really, really charming. Where did you grow up? On Long Island. On Long Island. But Mid Island. Okay. So, like, for somebody like me, I grew up in Miami, Florida, and then I I live in New York. And if you didn't grow up with those things, it does, you are kind of like, people just live here. <laughs> like, yeah. it does feel like a movie. It does. It does it, sometimes. It feels so, it, like, this is, this. it's not the Truman Show. Like, this is real. <laughs> you know? But when you're living here, it's a little more real than. Well, yeah, because you're dealing with everything. Everything. Day-to-day life. You got to right. get your, right. your laundry done. And yep. Yeah, right. Yep. Fill your gas. I actually have to gas my car up on the way back. But in any event. So what's going on with, the, let's, let's talk a little about the, uh, the present first. The, the, the North place, Fork Table and Inn. The North Fork Table and Inn looks great. Oh, thank you. It looks great. I've, yeah. only been here, I've never been here for service. Okay. Um, I came here once years ago. I had, I had interviewed Jerry for my book, and I came trying to find you. I just missed you. Oh, and I'm sorry. That's okay. They sent me to the truck to find you, but you were gone. I was gone from But I too. did come in and uh, look around, and... Uh, I mean, it's what we got the wainscoting on the on the walls and be- and really beautiful. What are those? Are they what? They're watercolors. Yes, those are watercolors yeah. by a local artist. Yeah, but it has yep. this very timeless kind of New England feeling Thank you. about it. Thank you. Yes, yeah. and it feels very. A lot of inns can feel sort of like creaky and not very like formidable. Mm-hmm. This feels sturdy. Thank you. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes, I yeah. do. I do. It, it has like a, a presence. Proper facility. And yes. 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 Yes, it's not yeah. made out of cardboard. It's not made out of cardboard. It doesn't feel too like a small, like it, like a house, you know. Mm-hmm. Although I don't, maybe mm-hmm. the, was this a house ever? No, never. It wasn't. This it wasn't was always like an some inn. fabulous big house. It no, was always an inn. It was always an inn. Okay. Yep. So how are things here? Um, things are going well. I yeah. mean, this season, 2019, is starting off with a bang. We just got a fantastic review from Newsday. I did not see that. With our Congratulations. New yes, thank you very much. Um, so that was really exciting, and it just feels like a really good way to start a new season. Sure. Um, yeah, so far, so good. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, the weather's cooperating, yeah. thankfully, because yeah. it's all about the weather. Uh-huh. Now, this is a proper inn, right? I've it heard people is. refer to this as a B&B. I know, but, but B&Bs, it's not. my limited B&B experiences were creepy, because you go to someone's house... <laughs> You know what it is? B&Bs to me were like, it was like Airbnb and Uber mashed together. Because you're in someone's house mm-hmm. and they're there. Right? Like, it's not like you're in a hotel room. Like very I often- I think they've evolved a lot over the okay. years because I think a lot of people probably ha- had the same reaction you did. Man. Um, yeah, they, I think they're okay. much more contemporary now. Yeah, in- but it used to be you'd go and like you There'd be, you'd be in a bedroom. There'd be pictures of the family in the bedroom. You'd go in Dirty the closet. Dirty lace curtains. Yeah, you'd go in the closet and like- Like Victorian the, and weird. Yeah, and like the the clothes of whoever's room that was would just be pushed to one Ew, side on the, on the rack. Awful. Helen's nodding as I say this. You experienced this once? <laughs> oh, you never have? Not on the okay. North Fork. No, not out here. I'm talking no. about places. No, I'm talking about like in New Hampshire. Remote. So, yeah, remote. Remote places. But um, but that was my limited experience of it. And then when you would go down and have the breakfast, like, you know, very often you'd have to, I mean, I'm a New Yorker, so this may sound horrible to some people, but they'd cook for you and then they'd like, and then you'd have to sit and eat with your host. Yeah. Which to me was like, 
Not, yeah. but you know, this is a problem. But some people love that. Yeah, I know. People who are nicer than I am. <laughs> but this, this restaurant is a proper restaurant and the inn is a proper inn. That's what yes. I'm trying to say. Yes. And the way that most people understand those terms. You have your own room. You have your own bathroom. You have your own table downstairs. You have your, for breakfast, yes. you have your own table. Yes. It's a buffet style. Um, so you're very independent. Yeah. Um, you needn't talk to me in the morning if you don't want to. But you I make can the usually breakfast. I do. Uh, you can usually pick up that vibe. You know, somebody. You mean wa- you can? What I they can. Want. Yes. yes. If they want to speak well, with me or not, and I act accordingly. Well, you, <laughs> I hope. I don't know if people know this because you're you're gonna like tell them, no no you're gonna go like no 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 but, like you're a legendary pastry chef. Okay. Legendary. Hel- what do we say about legendary? It means you've been around a long time. You're asking Helen about this? Is this part of your... Do you guys have conversations about this? Yeah. No. Okay. No. Legendary... To me, legendary is like, oh, she's old. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But I disagree. Okay. You can disagree. Well, I just think it's denying reality, right? I mean, you're... It's, There's a whole generation of pastry chefs. Like, I tell people I was coming to see you, and like, not just pastry chefs, chefs, or they're like... Oh my God! You're going to sit down with Claudia. For, you're like they are. You're too nice to accept this. But I, by the way, for the record, I said you were going to say. This. I knew you were going to push back on that word. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's hard. It's hard. That. It's funny. But it's weird when it's your life it's and you? you're just doing what you do. It's just those kinds of words are just. I understand. Big. But here's what I was going to say. What a lot of people don't realize, and I think it's why you say you can pick up on those cues, is you spent time in the front of the house. Oh yes, many many years. Yeah, you did this right. So you develop, yes. or maybe you just had them, and that's why you were good at it. The instincts to read a table. Yes. Do these people want company? Do these yes. people want to be utterly left alone mm-hmm. and not even have me come within ten feet of them? Yes. That's part of the skill set of a good front of house person. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not to intervene. Yes. You know to yeah. a, to compliment or be be there when needed, but yes. not intervene. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's go back. Well, tell me what what kind of kid were you? So I have a girlfriend from kindergarten who I'm still friends with, and she always said that the first day we met was kindergarten, and she was. This is the early '60s, so she's hiding behind her mother's skirt, mm. literally hiding, and I'm in the middle of all the moms. Chatting, entertaining, talking. I don't know. That's the kind of kid I was. I was I was very gregarious mm-hmm. and comfortable with adults. Mm-hmm. And um, my sister was 10 years older than me. My mm-hmm. brother was oh. five years older than me. Okay. I was the youngest. And right. I was the youngest grandchild of like 25. Oh so everyone was older. Yeah. So if I wanted to hang out, I had to be quiet and compliant and just get along with them, yeah. um, which meant kind of being invisible, yeah. which maybe was why I was a good performer with adults because, I don't know, I yeah. just kind of disappeared into the background uh-huh. with my cousins. And I and it was a big Italian family, so we were together a lot. Both sides Italian? No, my dad was Irish, but we mostly just saw my mother's family every single Sunday. Did you do the Sunday sauce thing? Absolutely. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. I have an obsession with Sunday sauce. So, <laughs> so yeah. you had that, that's like- I had that growing yeah. up. Yep. Can you explain for people who don't know, what is that Sunday ritual? Well, as a kid growing up, 
you appreciate it less than I appreciate it now because it meant you didn't get to hang out with your friends. Totally. Um, and, you know, as I just said, I was the youngest one. And so everybody had a cousin that was their age that they could hang out with. Um, and my closest cousin was three years older than me, and we were thick as thieves. Um, I don't know. It's just a big, loud, happy, eat a lot. Um, we used to play bingo at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, That's cool. Yeah, because you do not get up from the table. Who cooked it? My grandma. Did she also do desserts? No. Dessert was from the bakery, the from Italian the ba- bakery. The local Cannoli. Italian bakery. Cannoli. White box, red and white string. Yep. Yeah. I mean, actually, sometimes she, pizzelle were her things. Do you okay. know what those mm-hmm. are? So sometimes she would curl them and fill them with the ricotta filling. Oh um, but that was a very special occasion. That was, yeah. but the every Sunday thing was actually, I used to go with my cousin Andrea and her dad, my uncle Mike, and we would walk to Allerton Avenue. We would get ices, Italian ices. Yeah. We'd pick up the box of pastry, you know, come home. That was just after Sunday mass so great. and then sit around the table all day. I wanted to write a book. So I didn't even know if it was going to be a cookbook or what, but it was going to be called everybody wants to be Italian. Yeah. <laughs> This is like, this is the greatest stuff. And even in movies that, you know, where it's like, even like when you see it in like mobster movies, it's like all that stuff. You're like, oh, I wish I could do that. That'd be worth, it'd be worth the risk of being, you know, taking one to the back of the head someday. (laughs) (laughs) To have all that going on before that. (laughs) And the sauce thing, right, is usually it's a production that starts, it's an all day thing. The day before. The day before even. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the day before. But it's like a, it's what they, some people call because, gravy. Yes, it's a no, red we, sauce. It was sauce. It was red sauce for there's us. There's all different meats go in there. Yes, meatballs, yes. lamb. It, everyone has their own variety. Well, brajol, the um, uh, what else was in there? Meatballs, sausage. Some people do short. Rib. Never hot sausage. Always sweet sausage. Yeah. Uh, the meatballs, uh, the brajol. Um, yeah, mostly that's what it was. Yeah, and then uh, like maybe a salad. It would get coursed out. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have the pasta, the with pasta, some sauce, and then-, then a roast of some kind yeah. with um, usually vegetables, then the salad, then the fruit or des- dessert and fruit yeah. and nuts, and and then a lot of times uh, intentionally there'd be leftovers, and that would come Monday, Tuesday, one of those early oh, in the week. Sometimes she that would, would become, send us everybody home. Yeah, and that would be some, dinner early yeah. in the week. Yes. You'd have like yeah. the leftovers. That was but in my house, we had when we also had sauce every Wednesday. The whole thing again? Just the sauce. Just pasta. Okay, smaller. Just, yeah, pasta and salad. <laughs> you know, when we went to grandma's, it was the, the whole, whole thing. Magilla. The okay. whole Magilla. So what else about food in your childhood? I mean, you've got to come from an Italian family. Was there any food on the Irish side that, you, that, was, a, that was a presence, or was it really no, just Italian? just Italian. Okay. Okay. My dad used to love, he uh, served in World War II, and they had this thing called shit on a shingle. Sure. This is actually, You know what that is? I know what it is. And it also, Kelly Fields oh, yes, was just Kelly. on the show. And oh, she Kelly. was saying that was the only thing her grandmother knew how to make. But well, go ahead. my dad loved it. Yeah. What was his version of it? Um, I don't know because okay. he was never allowed to prepare it <laughs> unless my mother wasn't home. Right. Um, it's a sin even to think it. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think he used to buy it in a jar. Is what? that possible? I can't imagine how. Well, Isn't it something that you spread on some kind of toast? Yes. So you mean But the it's spread. like in a cream sauce. It was like... What? What would they even call it? Well, what would they call it? I don't know. You can't, they, it's you can't just have a label weird, that says shit on a shingle. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> like beef in some cream oh, sauce. Oh, okay, maybe. Yeah, 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 maybe. Chipped beef or something like that? Chipped beef, that's it. Okay. That's it, chipped beef. Okay, so that's what he used. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That was his thing. That was his... Yeah. So crazy. It's that's yeah. like that's one of those things that he that obviously was a very powerful memory. Yeah. 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 That took him back. And my mom, growing up, her mom worked, which was of course very unusual in the forties. Um, Doing. Uh, she worked as a seamstress. Okay. And uh, my mother had two sisters. Yeah. So the sisters would do the prep work. During the day, my grandma would come home and kind of finish dinner. Yeah. Um, My mom really took to it. My mother loved, loved, loved to cook. She was an excellent cook, better than my grandmother. When did you start gravitating toward the performing arts? Oh, that was as a child. Early. That was early. Always dance? Yeah, always dance. What what was it? Was it going to be ballet, modern? Ballet. It was going to be ballet. And and I asked my mom once. I said, Mom, why why, why did you take me to ballet classes? She said, that's what you did. Yeah. You took your daughter to ballet classes. I was like, oh, okay. That was like one of the things on was, the, like, I got a girl list of possibilities. Yeah. I, yeah. I, well, not even. It was just an activity that, you, you know, you went to Girl Scouts and ballet class. That was your mom's like, that view was of the thing, it, okay. I guess. Yeah. Did you have a lot of friends who did both those things? No. <laughs> okay. I think I lasted one week in Girl Scouts. Oh, really? Why yeah, not? No, Why I don't know. How far did you go with the dance? How... Much a part of your teenage years and into your late teens, or like how oh, much? Oh, like all. How, yeah, yeah, from the like time, time I was time six till the time I was twenty-five. Twice a week. Okay. You know, an hour and a half, two hours. Uh huh. Um, in high school, it was like three hours on Saturday and another class during the week. And then after high school? Um, after high school, I went to a place called Point Park College in Pittsburgh. Okay. That's kind of hard to say. It is. Um, as a dance major. Yeah. And it wasn't such a great program. Okay. I found another program in Connecticut at the Hartford Ballet, uh-huh. um, and it was a teacher training program. Yeah. So I'm certified to teach dance and, you know, do some dance. Got it. On the side. I had you, a, I had a instructor there who lived in New York City who had a dance company who invited me. So after I graduated from there, I moved to New York to dance. Okay. And how did that? How how was that? That was pretty hard. Was I it wasn't daunting? Dedicated. Um, was it daunting? You know, I loved working in restaurants more than I loved dancing. Interesting. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. We have to say. You come up at a time when, I mean, if people want to get an understanding of this, go watch a movie like Tootsie, right? Because you come up, what? Because he was, yeah, because Michael Dorsey worked in a restaurant and his roommate, who was the playwright, Bill Murray, worked in a restaurant. And like a lot of, in that time, that was the, front of house wasn't like this elevated thing it is now in this country. Oh gosh, no. Right. It was like, you know, like you'd have a waiter and like they'd leave the table and people would be like, oh, I guess they have an audition. You know, like that's how people talked about front of house. We didn't have these front of house 
figures that we have now, like Will Gadara, right. and you know, right. like these these people who have become as well known as chefs, right? <clears throat> it did, that wasn't seen as like an, a craft in itself here in this country. True. Yes. And so you, at that time, in those days, you did what a lot of people who had performing arts or any artistic ambition did. You got a job in a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. It was cash. Yeah. So what was the first place? Um, Big the, smile. The very first place yeah. was called Dannon's on the Park. It was on Columbus Avenue okay. and 81st Street. Okay. Which I believe now is a tea- Is that the Pizzeria I- Uno? Yes. That's a uh, Pizzeria Uno? Uno. Uno. Yes, it's yeah. a Pizzeria Uno. It's on the southwest corner across from- That's exactly yeah, right. Right. I know, that, I know yep. exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And what was it? Just one of these like a dime a dozen- glorified diner? Yeah. I don't know what yeah. to call it. It yeah. was- Neighborhood uh, joint. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you walk in one day and you're like, can I work? Uh, how, did, how, does that, how does that happen? No, wait, that's wrong. I worked very briefly at the Gingerbread Man. I leave there for some reason. I don't remember why. I go back to that restaurant, and the manager tells me his brother is opening a restaurant on the Upper West Side. I should go check it out. So and that that's was how Dannon's I get on the park? That was Dannon's on the okay. park. And were you waiting tables? What were you yes, doing? Yes, yeah, waiting tables. Were you good at it? Mm, I was okay at it. I wasn't great at it. Did it bother you that you had to do that kind of work? No, I loved it. You loved it. So you weren't that great at it, but you loved it. I loved it. What did I you love loved about it? the timing. I loved just having to have good timing. Mm-hmm. Um, dance. Um, I liked the pace, mm-hmm. the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, did the you like people? interacting with people? You did. Loved it, yeah. Loved it. I, the staff, you yeah. know, they're all theater people, as you were just saying. So they're always fun and interesting. Had stuff and, going on. Yeah, oh, which is why, again, you would work in a restaurant because you had stuff going on during the day, auditions or so classes trade shifts or with whatever. people and all that Yeah, stuff. it was yeah. a very flexible schedule. Yes. Um, and- People were just interesting. So it was fun. And again, I was the youngest in this group of people. So people like kind of took me under their wing and wanted to teach me and wanted to kind of make me better. Mm -hmm. And they were very, very nice to me. And one particular woman, her name is Laura. Actually, there were two Lauras who were just great great friends at the time. One of the Lauras had a, hus- a boyfriend, excuse me, who was the sous chef at Boite en Bois. Remember that? Wow. La Boite en Bois? Uh, just by name. I didn't come to New York till 85. Okay. Yeah. Again, right around Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. And he heard of this place opening on the east side It's going to it's going to be really different. The guys from California, you should go check it out. Um, so I go, and that place happens to be Jams. So we have to stop for one second. Jams is Jonathan Waxman's restaurant in partnership with Melvin Master. Jonathan and Melvin. And Jams Jams. stood for Jonathan and Melvin. And it was credited with bringing, quote, unquote, I don't like this term personally, California cuisine to New York City. Mike, uh, Jonathan had worked, he had had been at Chez Panisse, not as the chef, as, as a cook. It's mistakenly out, out there as him. Some places have it as, as a chef at one point. At Chez Panisse. Yeah, but he wasn't the chef. He, he was one of the part of the kitchen team. 
migrated down to LA and was part of the opening team at Michael's. And then when the opening chef, Ken Frank, left after like three months, Jonathan became the chef and got really famous. Mm-hmm. And then brought this California cuisine to New York City. And well, you had a front row seat for this, so maybe you could talk about this for a minute. But you know, it seems very quaint today, but in, like in the book I wrote, I say that people flocked to see California cuisine the way years later, they went to WD-50 to see molecular food. Like, yeah. it was like a thing. It was It was like unbelievable. a spectacle. It was like the circus was coming to town. Can you speak it to was that for like, a minute? What was the heat like there? Well, it was food revolution. I mean, it, like, no one had ever seen anything like this before, let alone me. Yeah, but what does like this mean? Because when you say it right now, it's going to sound like nothing. Okay. Like this means what? Okay. The floor were, t- for me, it was very visual. I'm coming from a place that, you know, has burgundy carpeting and burgundy tablecloths and maybe black napkins and the heaviest, heaviest, you know, wine glass and this chunky plateware. And maybe, you know, there's a, I don't know, a picture of old New York on the walls. I don't, you know, dark, really dark. You go into jams. It's all white terracotta floors, Hockney's on the wall, Frank Stella's on the wall, Janori China, Christoffel silverware, Riedel glassware. Yeah. I mean, it was like a museum in there. Yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the food yet. Well, it was a museum except it was it 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 was like a It was a, comfortable. It was like a, but it was also like uh, you know, you mentioned the white walls, right? Because everyone, there were all these young Americans right then who had been like the Waltucks had Chanterelle mm-hmm. and, and Barry and Susan Wine had the quote to giraffe. Mm-hmm. But all these places were basically Nouvelle Cuisine restaurants. They all leaned French. They all still yes, had a certain, yes. even if they were downtown like the Waltucks, the references were all French. Yes. And, and then here comes this thing that looks like it got dropped in from Santa Monica, very deliberately. I mean, yes. that was very calculated by those guys. Brilliantly, I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, a whole yeah. open yes, kitchen. Yes, you felt like open, open kitchen. kitchen. Open kitchen. An open kitchen. You just felt set like you were in California. Wood, like a little wooden table slash pass. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. That wasn't even fastened to anything. It was just right. Its own weight kept it in place. Everything was grilled. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, in 1984, the chicken and French fries cost twenty five dollars. Yeah. This is Jonathan Waxman's famous dish that he's been carting around yep. forever. Forever. And with good reason. With good reason. Delicious. And uh, yeah, the pricing. Free range chicken, right? Who, who Free range chicken. What? what yeah. What's that? Yeah. Um, you know, baby vegetables that got FedExed every mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. from California to New York. Mm-hmm. So local sourcing, not so much. But, sure. but they... You know, everything was miniature and like jewels. They yes. were they were like jewels. It was yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Um, and ta- who who wanted? I don't go ahead. Who came in? Who were some of the regulars oh. there? Uh, who came in? I'll start. Uh, Mick Jagger. I, that's who I was oh, going to say. I was just trying to get you rolling. Okay, uh, Robert Redford. Um, a- anybody who was anybody in those days. Bette Midler. Um, Paul Newman. Paul Newman. <laughs> Um, lots of artists and rock and roll people. Um. And, and the emerging class of culinary superstars, right? Like if somebody like Wolfgang yes. Puck visited from yes. L.A., 
he would come hang out. Yes. Oh, absolutely. If Alice Waters came through New York, she would come hang out. Absolutely. Yeah. And these people yeah. were just getting to be known nationally. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was it like to be in the thick of that? It was a blast. Did you have any sense when you're there in the middle of that, that that was... Yes. Like, that's one of those moments in time. Yes. You knew you were part of something electric. It just... Yeah was so exciting. Yeah. And it was different. I felt like I was part of the in crowd. Yeah. And it feels good. And and the you guys, well, go ahead. I know, like, tell me about the after hour. Like, I know Jonathan would take the crowd, like, out to oh, Cafe Luxembourg. Yes. And tell and, me about and, a little of that. And, you or know. to Odeon. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere that was anywhere. Like, he would, the crew would go out after yeah. service and, have yeah. like, and get, like, spoiled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. He was incredibly generous. Yeah. And a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and... It was a great family. It was it was nothing like it. Yeah. And you know, I I was part of the opening staff, and yeah. being part of any opening staff of a restaurant is very special. Yeah. But that was extraordinarily special. Uh huh. Um, you could feel the heat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, How long were you there? From eighty four to eighty seven. Okay. Got out just in time. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? Yep. Yep. It went away fast. That place was huge, and then uh, yeah. it was gone. It became Jonathan like a Waxman's flare. for a little bit at the yeah. very end, and they changed names for 10 minutes, and then it, that restaurant's so well-remembered, its entire lifespan was six years. Yep. At a time when restaurant, like a lot of restaurants that opened within the same year or two, they're still here. Is that right? Gotham. Right. Union Square Cafe. Tribeca Grill. Hmm. Those places all opened at the and same time. I worked at... All of those places. <laughs> you worked at Goth? I didn't. I'm, you didn't work I, at Gotham. I worked at okay. Union Square and okay. Uh, so, okay. Tribeca. Did you go from there to you? Where'd you go from there? Union Square. Union Square. Okay. Yeah. What, yeah. So in 87. In 87. So was Michael Romano the chef at that no, point? No, no. It was Ali Barker. Ali Barker, who was the yep. We were talking before we started. Lovely guy. Yes. Really sweet man. Yeah. So one of the really fun things about, I'm sorry to go back, no, about go being ahead. at Jams was that... Um, Larry and um, Jonathan became very good friends. This is Larry Forge Young. Larry Forge Young. Who, I, I'm sorry, I have to do this because not everybody knows this, who these people are. Right. Larry Forge Young put the River Cafe on the map in right. Brooklyn. And yeah, then he opened We call it. him the godfather of American cuisine, don't we? Larry's pretty buttoned up. Yeah. Yeah. And Jonathan's kind of a wild child. Yeah. Not now, so, but yes, he no, was kind not, of- No, this was like, yeah. he was a wild child. Yeah, I know. So- so it was just a funny friendship. But I think that Jonathan got a lot from Larry. You know, well, you mentioned just, free range chicken. That's yeah. who hooked him up with that was Larry. Yeah, and anything yeah. that he started to get that was American and local. And, yes. He, you gave, know, he just basically he, gave him his sourcing network. Yes, yeah. sourcing network. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. But yeah. they would hang out like every night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know what Jonathan's nickname or said the name of Jam should have been because of how much Larry helped him. Did you ever hear this no, joke? No, no. So Larry's restaurant was American Place, and yeah. Jonathan's joke at the time was that Jam should have been called another American Place. <laughs> <laughs> but And also, you know, Larry, when he was a kid, thought he was going to be a priest. Wow. That, right? Can't you just see it? Yep. Totally. 100%. I bet his wife's happy he's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so you moved, you go to Union Square I Cafe. I go to Union Square what Cafe. What drew you there? You know, it was on the radar. It was on everybody's radar. It was mm -hmm. the new great place to mm -hmm. be, to go. Um, and, you know, things were winding down at Jams at that point. Yep. Um, 
And I think I lived downtown at that point. So it was going to be an easier commute for me. Mm-hmm. And it was just new and different. You know, in the restaurant business, that's kind of what you you live on. Had you done any, had you migrated at all to the kitchen at this point? Um, I had asked Jonathan if I could just kind of work in the kitchen when. Prep, service, prep, both? Prep, just prep. You know, and the other really amazing thing about Jonathan was that he surrounded himself with women cooks. Yeah. Which, you know, he was way ahead of his time for that. And so there were all these super strong, awesome women in the kitchen. Do you think that's because he was, I have, I have never asked him this, but other people have said to me, they're like, they're like yeah, because he's from California. Probably. Because that was unremarkable in California. Unremarkable, yes. Yeah, and the first big person he ever worked for was Alice Waters. Was Alice Waters, Waters. Yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it just seemed natural to him. I guess. And, you know, if you want people to take care of shit, you get a woman to do it. <laughs> they are, organ- they'll take care of your stuff. They just okay. do. And this it was, was very inspirational. But this was, that. yes, that is part of the Waxman thing that doesn't get talked about much. But I th- yeah, going all the way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, okay. And you took to it right away? Yeah. I loved it. I mean, they Did let you, me work in the kitchen doing prep. Yeah. But what was prep in a restaurant like that? Because it's not like there was a lot of like super crazy. Uh, no, it's like true. Was, it wasn't like there was, the food wasn't put through the ringer there. No, but yeah. it was cleaning vegetables. Yeah. You, so you kind of you know, got your feet wet. Yeah. And, and, you, and, and you liked it. And I loved it. And again, the ingredients were so amazing Yeah. that- even if I was just unpacking boxes, it was mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. So you, you, you do all that, and, um, and then you move over to Union Square. Also very exciting. Yeah. Very different. Much bigger, much more organized. Yeah. Um, uh, after a certain point um, at Jams, I moved into being in the kitchen. Uh, I'm sorry, in the office. Okay. I started working in the office because I got married, and I wanted a normal life. So I didn't want to work at night waiting tables anymore. So You got I married when you were at Jams? I did. You did? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Do we talk about this or do we not? 1985. I don't know. You want to talk Was about it? Was it someone in the industry? No. Okay. How no. long did it last? Two years. Okay. It didn't work. But my father had died the year before. Okay. He was safe, secure. Yeah. He had a good job. It was just, it wasn't, you know, the artsy crazy restaurant life. Yeah. Um, it was an island of stability. Yeah. 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 I mean, he was a good guy. Yeah. But you realized you didn't want. I realized <laughs> I didn't want stability, actually. Um, um, poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I wanted to be a cook. Yeah. You wanted to be a cook. So How'd that go down with the family? Um, my grandmother flipped out because, you know, as an immigrant... That's not the American dream. That's not the American dream. But I was not the smart one in the family. Come on. Oh, no. My sister was the academic. That's not smart. That's not book book smart. smart. I was not book smart. Okay. I was a horrible student. Didn't like school? Um, Didn't like school, but couldn't, was, I tested terribly. I understand. Didn't, like, my comprehension was awful. Like, I can't read and retain. I, I'm very visually oriented. I can copy things. Yeah. I'm very physical. And you're also tactile, right? Very tactile. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the dance to the cooking thing was yeah. not a big leap, really. Yeah. Can we, 
this comes up not that often on this show, but you're not the first person on the show who was a dancer, although I'm hard-pressed to remember who it was offhand. Pat Williams. I haven't had Pat on the show. Okay. I should. But what I was going to say was that um, uh, Michelle Bernstein oh, yes. had been a dancer. Oh, I love her, too. She and I did a book years ago. We sold it with the title Dancing on the Plate. That's how she talked about cooking. It, just, it was a throwaway phrase in a, one of our interviews, right? A lot of people, though, have made that transition. It does seem to be... Can you speak to it for one second? Because it, it sure. does seem to be a very natural progression. For, I mean, there's obvious things like whether it's front of the house or... We were talking about Jonathan. You know, Jen Davidson, who ran Barbudo and probably will again when it moves, um, was an ex-dancer, you know? Um, the front of the house stuff is pretty obvious. Thomas Keller used to uh, have the cooks at um, the French Laundry... Was it the cooks? It was definitely front of house people. Maybe it was the front of house people. When Laura Cunningham worked in the restaurant, she had them take ballet lessons years Stop, ago. Stop, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard that. Yeah, and Thomas, in the old handbook, I don't know if it's still there, referred to the synchronicity of the kitchen mm-hmm. as the dance. dance yeah. The dance. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. How does it apply to the kitchen? Um, well, for me personally, you know, it's so not about being creative. <laughs> it, it, it's What's so not about li- being creative? Uh, cooking. Okay. Um, if you're lucky, you get to be creative. Yeah. Um, but before you get to being creative, mm-hmm. you have to repeat, 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 and repeat some more. And that's what dancing was. This is why also a lot of musicians find their way to the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, do and do and do, do well. well there, yeah. Because you're kind of wired in a certain exactly. way that works. Yes, yes, yeah. and you're wired toward perfection. Like you want, you don't mind doing it over and over and over and over, and you never feel like you've done it well enough. It can always be better. So the thing that makes a lot of people bored is something that kind of drives me. Dancers, like, musicians, it can be better. cooks, yeah, all those. Players. And it's athletes also. Athletes also. Yeah. Why, is Rob, why is did Rafael Nadal just win his twelfth? Oh my! But God. why? Because he goes. He's still after everything he's committed. Done, goes out there and works his butt off on the practice court. Yep. No, it's that it's takes amazing. a special skill. Yeah. Yeah. Our mindset, brain, or brain, or wiring, certain wiring. I don't know what he is. Yeah, yeah. and and and. It's funny, too, because the, the whole atmosphere in kitchens back when, and still to this day, you know, it's kind of militaristic. Totally. Which, what do they call a kitchen team in classically in the brigade? Yeah. That's the French term for it. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. And dancing was like that. Yeah. I mean, people yelled at you, yeah. left, right, up, down. You look like an L. You look disgusting. Do it again. That was horrible. Drill sergeant. You're fat. Stop eating. What's the big deal? So like drill, this is like the drill sergeant. Yeah. Or at least this, in a movie. I've never so seen a real And so when somebody yelled at me in a kitchen, it was like, okay. Right. And, and really sicko, when somebody yelled at you, yeah. you were getting noticed. And when you were dancing, if you got corrected, it was like, you would go out of class and go, how many times did you get corrected today? And it because was that like- Because they thought you were worth the trouble. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. These are like movie cliches that are it's true. It's sick. But it's true. It's true. Yeah. 
Because otherwise they would just be they like. They would ignore you. Yeah, and fire you. Or, yep. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody thought you were worthy of correcting, you. So the thing that makes kids cry yeah. now, yes, right. you know, if you look at them <laughs> yes. sideways and say, yeah. do it again, yes. and they start to cry, yes. you're like, uh, really? Yeah. Like, get a yeah. backbone. Good for you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. It's kind of crazy. I couldn't agree more. I've had to tell, uh, my daughter only did one season of one sport ever. My son did some sports and he did tennis for a while. And I used to sit and watch the lesson. And privately, I would tell the coach, do whatever you need to do. And uh, once in a while, my son would turn to me to try to say something. And I would say, I am not your, I'm not in charge of you for this Good hour. For you. He's in charge of you. And I'd point at the coach. Mm-hmm. That Good was it. For you. And if yep. he and if he ever started acting up, I would just leave. I'd go inside, and that. But that's. I think I, I don't. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that was all the right stuff to do. Yep. I mean, some people get motivated in different ways. Yes. I mean, that doesn't work with everybody. Yeah. Um, and it works less and less. Sure. You go from there to Tribeca Grill. Yes, I go to try again another opening team. Um, I never worked in a restaurant that I wasn't part of the opening team. Except the Square Cafe. Correct. <laughs> Every other one. All five. All other five. But Claude, this is insane to look at where you were. These are all played. First of all, a lot of them are still around. But second of all, I mean, holy shit. Yeah. No. These are big moments. Yeah, I know. I worked with, I was in the big leagues. Yeah. But can you also, I, I'm, I'm not saying this at all to diminish your value at the time, but can you also just speak to how small the community was? Because I think this is also part of what was going on, right? Yeah, everybody, everybody knew, each, knew other. each other. Yeah, and you frequented each other's restaurants. Because there were only like 12 of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you all hung out together. Yeah. And there were no television shows or podcasts or, you know, there were the James Beard Awards, and that was even so. I don't know where was it. It was like in some auditorium Back somewhere. Then, with a yeah, Mar- no, is that Marriott Marquis, Marriott Marquis with the rotating bar up top? Yep. Where we used to sneak out yep. for a break. Oh my gosh! Oh my god, that was the longest thing ever. Oh, that was so. That painful. was longer than the longest tasting dinner. Yeah, that was so <laughs> painful. Well, people don't realize this. The, the media awards now have broken off. Yes, but at the time, the media awards. And all the chef awards were the same night. I'm not, people think I'm lying when no, I say like that. Six hours. It was like a five, five yeah. and a half hour evening. You would just like die. <laughs> and then you'd see people like once their category got oh, announced, yeah. that you'd see them like leave, all the, of them yeah. leaving. Yeah. Because they were just like dying. Done. Yeah. Done. All right. So Tribeca. So Tribeca. In very which important is where place I in your life. This is where yes. we might get a little, I might get a little emotional. Okay. But uh, go ahead. So tell okay, us. Okay. So. Um, well, first of all, the chef is Dom Pintabona, was the opening chef. Drew Laporent, yes. the legendary restaurateur. Oh, my gosh. Opens this place. Host. I mean, just host extraordinaire, right? Yeah. Just larger than life. gregarious, larger than life, warmest, most Super computer brain. Brilliant. Knows who everybody is, where they work, where they used to and work. And probably their phone number, right? Yeah. Like, remembers everything. Everything. And I remember years later after working for him, calling him and him calling me back the same day. Like yeah. the, you made phone calls back then. And like Drew is calling me back the same day. Like it just seems like. He still like, does though. I know. Yeah. He's amazing. I never worked for him. He calls me. He's I mean, amazing. Yeah. 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 No, he's incredible. He's, 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 yeah. He's good people. So you go to work there. So I go to work there. And also it was in the Tribeca Film Center at the time. Yes. This was how big a deal it was. 
which was Robert De Niro's Robert. Film Center. There were all That's kinds right. of agents, and Miramax was upstairs. Yep. And it, and that was, was all, all so stuff, lost on me. I had no on, idea what was going on. Well, none of us did, as it yeah. turns out. But, um, <laughs> but for people who don't know, that was Harvey Weinstein's company. Yeah. So that's upstairs. And downstairs is this restaurant. It's, Tribeca it's Drew in partnership with Robert De Niro. The uh-huh. paintings on the wall are by Bob De Niro's Bob, father. Yep. Okay, and you go into this place. And I go into this place, really not knowing much about any of this stuff and not being particularly impressed by much of it. Um, I just wanted to work. I mean, I I had done, actually, when I was working at Union Square Cafe, I was working several nights at Marche. Mm, which was Jews' other... Other restaurant. His first Down restaurant the as an owner, right, right. where David Boulay which got is pretty famous. what now? Uh, now Batard. it's Batard. Now it's Batard. Um, and when Drew was opening Tribeca Grill, he called me and he said, do you want to mm-hmm. be part of the opening team? And I said, sure, because I was working for, a, oh, I was doing pastry at the time at Union Square Cafe. Okay. For a very talented musician, a concert pianist who became a pastry person. It's interesting to me that Drew called you. Well, because I'll tell you why. That's very unusual that an owner... That Not back then. And Drew was in the kitchen. In the I mean, he was there all the time. He saw me all the time. Yeah. What did he used to call me? Oh, he calls everybody young chef, right? I don't know. Little never, chef no, or young know. chef. I don't remember what. But that kitchen was about as big as a postage stamp. And Deborah. Ponzik. Ponzik was the chef at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, another woman. Yeah. In the kitchen. Super nice person. Super lovely person. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was working with the pastry chef there at the time, who was another woman, whose name I don't remember. I'm sorry. Um, But when there was nothing to do, I was polishing flatware and cleaning glasses Mm -hmm. and doing whatever I could to look busy Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And in those days, that made an impression on people. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why Drew called me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. It was obvious I was a hard worker. Yeah. so I go to Tribeca Grill, and the sous chef slash pastry chef is Jerry Hayden, who worked for Charlie Palmer at the River Cafe and then at Oriole. Um, extraordinarily talented, very young, uh, very wild, um, at the time, I was dating someone um, much more sedate, mm-hmm. um, doing his PhD at mm-hmm. NYU. Um, and again, I just wanted to work. So I worked doing prep during the day and only worked on Saturday nights. Um, so I was very disconnected from the whole boys club partying scene. Like, yeah. I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. I think the first time I hung out with all those guys was the night I left. And um, This was a hard partying crew. Oh, man. I mean, he had been at the River Cafe, don't, too. Don't mess with these guys. And they were like cowboys. They were cowboys. Yeah. It was the wild, wild west. Yeah. Those, guys, those guys went all night. That's rock and roll. Yeah. 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 No, they were nuts. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, 
so I was there for a year mm-hmm. and as Jerry's assistant and um, talented, but, you know, I thought he was a jerk. Not for me at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, he was... Not your type at the time. Not as you my were, type as you at the time. you understood it. Yes, okay. yes. Um, and so after a year at Tribeca Grill, I was getting phone calls from um, Sign of the Dove and other very serious restaurants asking me to be their pastry chef. And I was like, I've only been doing this for two years. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not qualified. And so I um, decided I wanted to learn more um, and not be encumbered by the responsibilities that kept getting heaped on me. I started cooking late in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're older, people assume you're responsible. And most of the time that's true. Um, and I was responsible. But yeah. I felt like I was just had a lot more responsibility than my abilities really warranted. Yeah. So I couldn't decide whether I wanted to go do a stage in L.A. with Nancy Silverton, mm. who is my idol, or um, go to Europe. Nancy was your idol back then. Oh, yes. So you were, you were aware of her work. I became aware of Nancy Silverton at Jams mm-hmm. because our pastry chef at Jams, Jimmy Brinkley. Oh, I f- right, of course. Well, nobody will know that. He was the he chef. Was he was the pastry chef pastry at Michael's. Chef. Yes. Where Nancy started. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so that was the connection. More connections. Got it. And soon after that, Nancy wrote her first book, mm-hmm. which became a Bible for me. Mm-hmm. I read it backwards and forwards a million times. And then at this time, did she and Mark Peel, her ex, now ex-husband, they had Campanile by now? They had and Campanile. And La Brea Bakery. And, yes. Right. This is, for people out there, this is where Republique is now located in Los Angeles. Uh, so you decide not to do that. I decide not to do that. I decided I want a whole life change, right? Yeah. I just want a whole new yeah, experience yeah, yeah. in yeah. life. So I go to Europe for eight months, Paris to be specific. Um, and I'm, I... For a little while after I left Tribeca Grill, I was going to Maury Rubin on a very regular basis asking him for a job. And he kept saying no. Mm. No, 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 no. And this was for like six months. And so finally, the last time I go to him, he's like, you're serious about this, aren't you? And I'm like, yes, I want to do this. He said, well, if I reach out to the guy who trained me in Paris and he's willing to take you on, yeah. you're not going to get paid. I'm like, yep, yep, I know. Um, would you be willing to go? Six weeks later, I was on a plane. I went to France. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there for a little while at this pastry shop. And I chose pastry shops over restaurants because I wanted like a technical foundation. I didn't want a stylized version, uh, which is, you know, what restaurants are, right? Stylized versions of Mm -hmm. technique. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wanted the basics. Mm -hmm. And so then I met somebody in Paris who somehow, some way, I still don't know how, um, got me a stage at Fauchon. Wow. While Pierre Hermé was there. Wow. Yeah. So I was there for like four months. And then you enjoyed it. It was hard. Yeah, it was really hard. Yeah. Um, 
I worked both shifts. I worked double shifts, which mm-hmm. everyone thought I was just completely insane to do mm-hmm. that. And, you know, in, in France, or at least in back then, it, it's a trade, right? It's not, I mean, yes, there are famous chefs and they're very well respected, but, you know, it's like going to be an electrician or a plumber or, mm-hmm. so I'm with these 36 guys, yeah. age 15 to 21, mm-hmm. and I'm 33. And, you know, if they said good morning to me, it was a good day. So it was hard, but, you know, eventually, you know, after some time, people start talking to you and inviting you for coffee or whatever. But um, then after that, I was really running out of money. And back to jams, Coleman Andrews, we know Coleman Andrews, right? Legendary food writer, good buddy of Jonathan Waxman's. Yep. And um, Coleman used to write for Metropolitan Home. He Mm -hmm. was the food editor at Metropolitan Home Mm -hmm. and wrote this article. He also founded Savoir Magazine. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. He wrote this article about a sandwich shop in Paris called Cozy. And I just thought it was the greatest. It's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted what, to come back. To, well, they made it? the bread there. Yeah. They made their focaccia on mm-hmm. premise. Um, all the ingredients were fresh, and you got to make your own sandwich. Mm. So there were, you know, sardines and mozzarella and tomatoes and, you know, marinated vegetables. I mean, we didn't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you get this hot piece of focaccia, cut it open, and put all these fresh ingredients in it. I'm like, I want to do this in New York. Like, this is what I want to do. So the the guy who ran the place, his name is Drew Mm Heray. And so I reached out to Coleman. Coleman reached out to Drew. I sat down with Drew, and I just said to him, and Drew is, um, I believe, South African. And... He had this incredible shop, um, was opening another one. And I said, can I please work here? I want to I do this. I want to I have one of these back in New York. Mm-hmm. And he's like, sure. Um, I said, and I'll work for free. And he said, I'm not French. I'll pay you. I said, okay, great. So that enabled me to stay like three more months. Okay. Can we just be fair to the French, though? There are plenty of Americans back home who were taking free labor. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. That's, yes. But, you know, he wanted yes. to sound like a... Yes, I understand. A generous and... Yes, I understand. Yes. yes There's was, lots he, that was messed up about French kitchen culture, <laughs> but they did not own the, the unpaid uh, apprenticeship. Not at all. Yes. Not at okay. all. I worked there for a while, and then um, I had a little more time left before I was going to leave, and Joachim... Splechel? Splechel. Splechel. At the time, well, of Patina. Of Patina. Yeah. His father-in-law okay. owned a pastry shop in Biarritz. So Drew is wow. good friends with Joachim. Okay. Jo- Drew sets this thing up with the blah, 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 blah. I mean, Without he, the benefit of email. Right. Or cell phones. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This is all happening on landlines. It's crazy. Yeah. And I found myself in Biarritz for a couple of months. Amazing. And then it was finally time to come home. Okay. And I came home. 
And Gramercy Tavern opened a year later. After you got back? After I got back. How'd you fill that year? Um, I did some catering work. Okay. I worked at a place called Lux. Okay. L-U-X-E. Mm-hmm. Oh, that little place on like 21st Street? Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm, no one's going to remember, but yeah, I remember that place. You right do. next to Why? Campania. Why do you? It, it became Campania. Oh, it was the same space? Yeah, that okay. was the Campania space. I worked literally on that same block. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I worked at 920 Broadway. So if you turn so, the corner north and east, it was right there. There, there you were. Yeah. Well, that was a short-lived yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were two guys who were never in the restaurant business before mm-hmm. and, you know. An off-told tale. Yeah. 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 Too much money. Um, <laughs> so then I got a call from Danny. Meyer. Meyer. Who at the time, um, this is amazing because this is Mr. Shake Shack. And everything else had one restaurant to his name. Yep. And had been... For 13 years. Yes. Uh, a little less. Or a little less? Yeah. Yeah. Nine years. Is that all? Okay. 85. Well, Correct. And this is 93. I mean, Grand yep. Machine opened That's in 94. Right. That's yeah. right. Oof. It's just uh, freaking me out that, like, like I, it's weird. I know. I lived it's it, weird. and you remember yeah, it. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's very weird for me. Because I don't remember anything. My theme song and break music is from After School Specials album Double Barrel Single Entendre, which is available on iTunes. Welcome back to the show. We'll get you back to the rest of my interview with Claudia Fleming in just a moment. And I'm going to talk uh, for another minute or two here with Jeff. But before I do, I have a small favor to ask of everyone out there. I have mentioned in the last few weeks that we just recently launched an official website of the show. It's andrewtalkstochefs.com. I'm going to be totally honest. I'm having trouble getting that to show up in Google. When you search the name of the show... The website, bizarrely, does not come up in the first 10 results. The reason I am told is because not enough people have visited the site. So I would truly appreciate it if you drop by the site. You can poke around there when you do. You can, you can leave us a voicemail that might get played on the air. You can subscribe to our email newsletter. There are reasons to go there other than just doing me a favor. But if you are inclined to visit the site, I'm very proud of it, and it would help us become what ought to be the first result when people look for the show, which it bizarrely is not. I, I think that's really odd, but I'm told the only way that will happen is with traffic. Anyway, Jeff. Hey. I want to ask you about one or two other things on your... First of all, we should awesome. say, th- this is out there. People can that's go to a new... new they can go to a newsstand and buy it. Oh, it's it's out in print in early December. Oh, early December. And, okay. Uh, you know, it's it's online uh, now, so... Okay. Um, you know, so it's a list of best new restaurants. There are twenty-two. There are twenty-one numbers, but I made a tie. Yes. Basically, I like to spread the love. To be honest with you, I, I yeah. love a lot of places, and I wanted to include as many as possible. Then we have pastry chef of the year. We have comeback of the year. We have uh, rising star chef of the year. Uh, import of the year. Pop up of the year. It's a fun list. Yeah. And also beverage, is it beverage director of the year? Yeah, beverage director yeah. of the year, Chelsea Gregoire, yes. down in Baltimore. Um, 
I'll tell you the story behind that. I met her at Cafe China in Manhattan just to get to know her because I'd heard good things about her and her perspective on hospitality. And I was charmed. I just thought she was a delight. Mm -hmm. And really thinking deeply about how to make people feel comfortable. Make yeah, everyone. you say that in what you wrote, that yeah, she really it, just wants people to be happy. and Yeah, she has a, a very uh, open-hearted approach to inclusivity. And um, here's the thing. I hadn't actually tried her cocktails. But I wanted to – I really had a, had a Jones to include her as beverage director of the year because of that philosophy. But I realized, you know, I had to – try some of her cocktails to, to make sure. So I made a, a last dash trip to Baltimore and um, went to True Chesapeake Oyster Company where she works. Mm -hmm. She's also the general manager. And I had, I started, I often do with a martini. I love martinis. And I love to see, it's almost like a control group thing yeah. for me. I like to see how all different restaurants approach martinis. And she had done a kind of dirty martini where the brine mimicked the pH level or the brine level, the salinity mm. of the creek hmm. in which they get the oysters for the True Chesapeake Oyster Company. So the thoughtfulness of that was amazing, and this martini was exquisite. So I basically texted Kevin Sintemong, my editor, from the bar at True, True, True Chesapeake and said, we're good to go. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> this cocktail is so good. And I tried two more, and they were – I mean, I don't drink the whole thing because that would, that would, I would be pretty drunk early in the evening. When you say you had you were good to go, was that close to deadline that you needed It was to very close. And yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think we had a week left. Okay. To, and I, I, I drive my editors crazy because I, I'm a completist – and then, you know, and then I said, well, I'm going to go over to uh, Le Comptoir du Vin, a mm -hmm. uh, kind of natural bar wine bar, French restaurant, hangout that um, had been getting some attention. And guess what? I fell in love with that. So I I, I loved it. And I, I told Kevin, you got to squeeze one more into the best new restaurants yeah. list. You it's know, more and, value for the reader, right? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, then then we get some, uh, some love in Baltimore and some love for Baltimore, which is a very cool city. Um, that place charmed me. So... Um, Golly, that's how it goes. But I, you know, then I felt very. I could have also. I don't know. There, there's so many people making great cocktails at restaurants right now that there are many different candidates, frankly. But, but Chelsea seems very special to me. Great. Now I want to ask. Point of personal privilege. I am. I grew up in Coral Gables, Florida. No way. And you're pastry chef of the year. Now, when oh, wow. I was growing up, the idea that. On anything of the year in Esquire's restaurant list it would be from Coral Gables, would yeah. be unimagined. I mean, we had Norman kind of when I was leaving for school and moving to New York, yeah. Van Aken. But yeah. when I was a kid, unimaginable, right? Your pastry chef of the year, Antonio Bashor, yeah. is in Coral Gables. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Can you tell me about him? I've not, ex I've not yeah, uh, visited there. Yeah, he's an amazing talent. Um, he, he grew up in Puerto Rico. I believe his... Uh, Family's heritage is Middle Eastern, though, mm -hmm. um, and 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 um, you know, frankly, I didn't know much about him myself. Um, but I hit Miami. I, I as part of the research for this best new restaurants list. Toward the end, there came a week where I visited six cities in seven days. Oh my god! I'm 52 years old. I do not recommend this. I went yeah. to Asheville, North Carolina, Birmingham, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia. Miami, Florida, Austin, Texas, Los Angeles, and back to New York in seven days. Yeah, and, and anyone I, who can rattle off a list like that, the reason is that it was traumatic. It, it so it you hurt remember me. you remember the mornings <laughs> after the rushes to the airport. Oh, you don't even the, know what hotel you're in. Yeah, and like you know, and, and and you know, Brady 
bless his heart, at, at, at Esquire sets me up on these 6 a.m. flights and 7 a.m. flights. I mean, it kills you because yeah. you're out late at eating. But anyway, Antonio. a lot of those pl- – if you, if, you, if you listen to those cities I just mentioned, a lot of those cities wound up on the list. So yes. it, was worth the, it was worth the effort, and it brought more geographical diversity to the list, which is very important. A lot of good stuff happening in the South that I, I had to experience. But I went to Miami – and I mean, I lost track of how many restaurants I hit in one day. And I, I went for a late lunch. As soon as I got there, almost straight from the airport, I went to Bashur, which is Antonio Bashur's uh, breakfast and lunch spot. And I mean, by the way, this guy has like hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. Mm. And he has several books that have sold out. He sells out. And, and you know, like he has a huge following. Um, his pastries, when you just look at them, on Instagram are gorgeous, absolutely like jewel-like, mm-hmm. right? But I had not tasted them. And I, you know, I went there and I tasted a bunch of them and I I just I just wanted to weep. They were so good. Mm. And, and and plus he he did this incredible Cuban sandwich. Okay, where he did like roasted he's kind of changed the ingredients a little bit. Like there was porchetta on there mm-hmm. and or um there or maybe it was guanciale, but uh then like roasted turkey, mm. um, and he had baked the bread, of course, for it. It's best Cuban sandwich I ever had in my life. Mm. And, I mean, I love a cubano. So do I. Love. I love that sandwich. I have yeah. since I was a kid. And yeah. so, okay, I'm having the best cubano of my life. And then an avocado toast. Of all things, you would think you're so bored. I can't even. It was like the best avocado toast I ever had in my life. And so I was like, oh my god, this guy is so gifted and so interesting. And by the way, I don't think ever a James Beard nomination mm. i mean hello note to foundation get to get to the miami area yeah <laughs> I, miami's I mean, been but, historically very i mean i don't want to get into it but, but has, there have been a lot of noteworthy people down there of over course. the years who have been left out well part of like when i'm talking about this list i mean like i've said part of what i'm looking for is a point of view a story mm-hmm. being told and antonio bashor you know is plugged into the beautiful uh, Latin tradition in Miami. Yeah. I mean, it, it you know as people have said to me, Miami is like the capital of Latin America. And, oh yeah, and and he is not just making great pastries and sandwiches, but they are connected in many ways to that cultural tradition. So it reflects Miami's spirit and soul, and that's important to me. So mm-hmm. I mean, I also could have put Bashur on best new restaurants, but I, I was you know I couldn't I couldn't have forty. Restaurants, no, you know, this was right. So no, that's okay. Pastry chef of it makes the year sense. Perfect. No, and I agree with what you're saying about. I, to me, that is now what Miami is. I mean, it used to Absolutely. be. I think more. You know, I was just down there. Michelle Bernstein has a new place, Cafe La Trova, oh, which cool. is kind of a restaurant, cocktail bar, live music venue, Cuban music. Oh, I had a great time. Great, great. Yeah, we had a great evening. There's a great bar there called Jaguar Sun. Okay, that is, um, I believe, some uh, one or more uh, veterans of the Momofuku. Okay. Empire doing really cool. cool stuff. Yeah. So, all right. I am going to now return everybody to the rest of this interview with Claudia Fleming. But I do have to say, you get your hands on, or, you know, well, what you really ought to do is subscribe to Esquire and you can read Jeff's stuff yeah. all year long. There's some surprises in there, like June et Jolie. I ate, the, I ate there in, in July. No way. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. And I agree it's with really what you good. said about the room. It's just the room. It's, Charming, quaint, all those words that usually get misapplied or 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 uh, don't really mean anything actually are are kind of define that place. Yeah, the room really won me over. Yeah. And L- Lauren and I were in Laguna Beach, California, 
with my parents. My parents lived there, and they did, my parents babysat for the twins. And so basically, we went to June and Julie as a date night, mm-hmm. and like just drove south, perfect through Camp Pendleton, and then took an exit. And I was like, "Oh my god, what is this place?" And yes. like, I thought that it might be a bit of a surprise to people. So I loved it, but I also loved the idea of surprising people. Yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Anyway, there's lots yeah. more on the list. Thank you. Um, uh, get a hold of it. Visit it online. Also, Jeff's book, Hungry, is yeah. is still very much available. About still your out year. There. Trailing Renee Red Zeppi around the globe. <laughs> Thanks for squeezing this in. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks and, a lot for your time. And congrats on the uh, congrats on the issue. I know as people Thank could you. hear, it represents the culmination of a lot of work. And then you just Definitely. jump right back in and start doing it again. Yeah, I'm going to go to bed for a while. Mm. All right. So with <laughs> that, here's the rest of my interview with pastry chef Claudia Fleming. I hope you enjoy the rest of it. Danny so made the phone call. The owner made the approach. Or Danny called me and told me to call Tom. That's okay. what happened. Did you know Tom? Uh-uh. Interesting. Nope. Small as the world was, mm-hmm. you two somehow would not, not cross paths. Nope. But you know what? He wasn't, this is, see, there were these little fiefdoms, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't part of the Oreo, nope. he wasn't nope. part of that crowd. He wasn't or part the, of the Waxman crowd, right? right? Or he, the Union Square crowd. He was part of the Portelli crowd. He yes. was one of the Gotham graduates. Yes. Yeah, and then he went and opened this place, Mondrian. Yep. Got three stars, which was very rare. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, for a time, went back to New Jersey, where he was from, and was a chef in New Jersey for a little bit. Yeah, he was on his own. It's amazing that there could be this many different populations of cooks yes. within a place the size of Manhattan. But back mm-hmm. then, that's how it was. Yeah. Yeah, you had your crew, you had your And like we just said, there was no centralized, there, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't no, Twitter, there right. wasn't all these television shows. People didn't meet. Why would they, yeah. you know? And they you just and met also, when you were hanging out at the same bar. And yes. you didn't hang out at the same bar. But also most people, this is, again, I'm not saying this is like, you know, that it was better or whatever. I'm not being judgmental. But most of these people were working six nights a week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, you yeah. were, it wasn't like, oh, I'm an executive chef now. I'm on the, you know, festival circuit. No, you were, you were at the past. That's right. That's right. So it's not like there was that much time to meet other people. Mm-hmm. And I say that with no judgment. It just was a different time. Different okay. world. So you didn't know Tom. How did he strike you the first time you met him? Um, very reserved. Yeah. You know, very, I don't know, but not a lot, like, doesn't, you know, doesn't show his cards. No. At all. No. At all. Um, How was that restaurant first described to you? Did you meet at the space? Grand, no, we met at Union Square. I mean, it was It was a construction too soon. site? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Because yeah. when that place opened, you I'm sure you'll remember this, there was so much anticipation. Ugh. Danny Meyer, oh who, my God. along with Drew, was perceived to be one of the two people who had transformed hospitality. Empresario. But also taken like, things away from like the snooty French yes, service yes. to like... We're going to be nice to you. Yep. Make you it know? comfortable. Make it Make, comfortable. Yep. And we're, right? there's Americans on the service floor. And, you know, like yes. that was those two guys. And, and Danny was especially known for like nice, right? Nice. And everyone was from the Midwest. And, and uh, there was a New York magazine cover oh, before yeah. that, before it opened. About, there was a piece about Gramercy Tavern and it was a white cover with four, four stars gold across. Stars. Big, yep. That was the entire cover. Yep, and that was the anticip- was this going to be the first American restaurant to mm-hmm. get four stars? Mm-hmm. And you look back now, and it's like there was no f- way anything American that would was right nothing. No, 
No. There was there was still so much more that needed to change in the understanding of yeah. hospital. You know, that, 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 that could be something like that. Yeah. I mean, what would even the first one? Well, actually, I take it back. I have to take it back. The quilted giraffe Sean, that had okay. four stars ten years earlier, as had Chanterelle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's and right. And actually, Boulet. But this place was more casual. That's what it was. Like, well, that was a place the... that was kind of a more loose, co- comfortable place that didn't put on certain airs. airs. Yeah, could that get yeah. four stars? Yeah, this modern stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. But that was the amount of anticipation. I know. Was that stressful? Yeah. Yeah. You kidding? Yeah. Were you guys surprised by that? Um, you know, I was just a worker bee. Yeah. I die. Head down. Head down. Just, just do, the do best it. You can, just let the do it. Just keep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You just gave it your all and just right. kept going. When you think back on that moment when that restaurant opened, I mean, it's still thriving a couple blocks Absolutely. away from where we're sitting Absolutely. right now. But when that opened, what was that? Um, what was that liftoff like from where you were? It was like nothing I had ever experienced to that point, nor since. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so intense and filled, as you mentioned, with so much anticipation by the press and by you know anybody in the food industry, um, and so it. Felt like a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, the group of us that had that were brought together to make that happen were up for the challenge. Mm-hmm. And everybody was um, very united in what you know the vision was, and we drank the Kool-Aid. Like <laughs> we we all we all had the greater good at heart. Yeah. You know, no one was in it to become anything other than part of this magical team and this magical restaurant. Yeah. What do you attribute that restaurant's success to? And what I mean by that is it starts off, I mean, there was a lot of talented people. You're doing desserts, Tom Colicchio, who had already had a three-star restaurant at Mondrian before Mm -hmm. that, you know, was the chef. Paul Greco's doing Paul the wine. Paul Greco, who I don't know if people still know the name as much as they used to, but, you know, was doing the wine. He had a business called Terroir. He mm-hmm. may still have it in yes. New York. Yes, he does. Um, uh, uh, Danny Meyer, obviously, yes. was the owner mm-hmm. and still is. Um, but, you know, it's not like that restaurant, you know, you can't point to it and go, oh, this was revolutionary. Real, you know, like American food was already a thing. Uh, that style of hospitality was already a thing. Um, you know, uh, brought to us by Danny you, Meyer. You were starting to have a name. Tom, you know, had established himself. Danny was established. And yet that, I mean, I think with no offense to the people at Union Square Cafe, I mean, I think that restaurant and its, uh, its stature has kind of dwarfed even the, its predecessor. I mean, that restaurant, uh, you know, is such an American classic. Uh, but it, not a, not what you, and I hope this doesn't sound derogatory, but there was this sort of alchemy that happened. It wasn't, you can't point to it and go, oh, no one had ever seen X before. Yes, absolutely true. What alchemy, was it? Did what it just do word. everything be, like, better than any? I don't know that it was better. Yeah. Um, I think it was just, the stars were aligned. Yeah. I don't know. And it is just that sort of thing that you can't really put your finger on it. Yeah. It just all comes together so beautifully. Yeah. Um, and effortless, effortlessly yes. and, and not without 
a ridiculous amount of work, but still everyone doing what they love to do generously. Yeah. Just not for themselves, for yeah. everyone. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of hype around it. Yeah. So, actually, you know what occurs to me that I think actually was revolutionary about that restaurant in its own way? Uh, although certainly there had been precursors to this elsewhere, but in New York, I can't think of a comparable example. The tavern room. The tavern room, right. The, that front the room. Dual. For people who don't know, there was a... So you could think of something like the, the cafe upstairs at Chez Panisse, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. would be sort of a, an mm-hmm. equivalent. Mm-hmm. But in New York, this idea that in the front there was this walk-in only... Drop-in. Yeah. Hang-out. Hang-out. Yeah. Uh, Neighborhood bar. Different menu with the grill right there. Yep. That actually was probably the thing that was... It doesn't really explain it all. They were touting that, that as, yeah. it, as being different yeah. um, than other places. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was so fun <laughs> in such a different way than jams. But, but um, yeah. So how long? Your run there was for how long? At Gramercy? Yeah. Eight years? Yeah. Did you enjoy the spotlight part of it? Mm-mm. No? No. Why? I don't know. I, 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 um, I didn't feel deserving of it. Mm. You know, if I was the greatest pastry chef in the world, not working for Tom and Danny at that point, I'm not sure the spotlight would have been shown so brightly. You know, it, it, it was more, again, about the whole and not about the individual pieces to the puzzle. Mm. Um, you know, thankfully I continued to make a name for myself, but I felt so very much a part of that puzzle, Mm -hmm. um, and not so much an independent piece. Mm. Um, so it was uncomfortable and I, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I still find it really uncomfortable. But I hear, okay. I don't know if I, maybe this is for off mic. But, I mean, I have pastry chefs all the time who tell me that you were... I just did it. It's going to be on the air uh, soon. There's a new book about uh, signature dishes that Fiden just put out. Christine mm-hmm, Mulkey mm-hmm. wrote it. And we just recorded a, a sort of a roundtable, me and Christine and Michael Lasconis, who used to be the pastry chef yeah, on the Bernardin. Sure. And, yep. and, and we were talking about uh, dish, r- desserts that had particularly influenced Michael. And the first one he named was one of yours. Stop it. True. Spoiler wow. alert. Spoiler because wow. this will probably air before that. Because he's so much more refined. Like, I, I, you know, he's got a very refined sensibility. I just consider mine a little more down home. Yeah. But do you stratify it like that? This is something I've learned the last few years. I, I believe that the whole, what I call the degree of difficulty as a measurement of success mm. is a fallacy. I mean, isn't it just about... If, if somebody puts it in their mouth and it's delicious, like mission yeah. accomplished. Um, and consistency. And consistency. Yeah. Right. But you no, can have both of that. those things without whatever. I'm not, I'm not a dessert person. I don't know. The, like what to you is a sign of refinement? You mean like a lot of uh, shapes and. Yeah. And I don't know. Pulled um, sugar this. Yeah. And, decorations. Yeah. Chocolate. And what do you call the chocolate work? What do you call the. I forget what you call it. Like when you have bits of chocolate, you know, like when shards, like shards, shards and all that stuff. Chocolate yeah, I don't know. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I guess. Cylinders. Just looks and, fancy. Yeah. yeah, all those molds and yeah. stuff, which is exactly what I developed my style 
not to be. Yes. Right? I, I didn't yeah. want it to be that. Yeah. I, I wanted it to be more organic and just a little less structured. Hmm. Okay. How do we get to North Fork? What's the genesis of that? Um, let's see. So I'm nominated, I guess, three years in a row for the James Beard Award for Best Pastry Chef and didn't win the first year. The second year I was nominated, Jerry Hayden and his best buddy, um, Brad. 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 What's Brad's last name? Steelman? Yeah. Steelman. How could I forget Brad Steelman's name? Um, isn't he currently the chef at River? Yeah, yeah, yeah he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they were best friends, and they just came to the Beard Awards just because to be in the industry and just hang out and have a fun night out. And I bump into Jerry, and you know he was he was my boss at Tribeca Grill, mm-hmm. so we just you know strike up a conversation. Let's have dinner sometime. Okay, he calls me a year later, so a whole year later. I guess that's then. Or maybe it's, okay, no, he's there the first year I get nominated. He doesn't call me for a year. He's there with me the second year. I don't get. Um, you don't win. I don't win. And then we, and we were dating at that time. And then the third year I win. And we've been dating now for about a year. And we get married the following year. And. I've left Gramercy at this point. It's 2002. And he was working for Charlie Palmer. Palmer. And then he opened his own place, Amuse, mm-hmm. um, with Steve Zolis. They split. I'm consulting. He's consulting. We buy a house on the North Fork. And we're kind of feeling like, I don't know. We're consulting. Do we need to live in the city to do this? Mm-hmm. Let's give it a shot. Let's let's move out to the North Fork and see what life in rural Long Island is like. Can I just ask at that juncture, um, when you say you were consulting, did mm-hmm. did you guys did you each think you were gonna you were killing time between restaurants, or did you feel like you were kind of done doing restaurants full time? He was killing time between restaurants. I was trying to figure out what the next mm-hmm. chapter th- thing was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he started looking at spaces out there, unbeknownst to me. Um, and then he found it. Yeah, I found the space. Great. <laughs> so, for several months, we try to get investors and we're insanely undercapitalized but kind of halfway there and didn't want to pull the plug and just forged ahead and um, I had worked with Mary Moraz at Gramercy Tavern mm-hmm. and I knew that she and her husband Mike she was pregnant with their third child and they were living in New York and it you know seemed like it was probably time to leave and they were either going to go back to Denver um, or co- I had asked them to come and work with us. Mm-hmm. So they decided to come and work with us, and the rest is history. Mm. So you guys opened that, what, in 06? Was it 06? Yeah. 06. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people have this 
fantasy notion of like, oh, you know, it'd be nice to own an, own an inn. I know. Crazy <laughs> people. Your eyes just went like dark. Ugh. A darkness uh, flooded into your eyes. <laughs> the inn is actually not the we hardest should say part. You, we should say you still very happily have the inn. I still very happily yes. have the restaurant yes. and in. But it's a lot of work. That look in your eye was, it's a lot of work. It's a crazy amount of work. Yeah. And, you know, Jerry was our leader. He was our north. Yeah. And it was his vision. Yeah. It was his dream. Yeah. And it's hard to live somebody else's dream. Mm. Especially when it's so much work. Yeah. Um, so here we still are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Yeah. So... I don't want to take you through the whole ordeal. I'll, I'll, I've summarized it in the yes. in the intro of the show. Okay, great. Uh, but thanks for sharing all that. Sure. Um, so you were there. You you make do you make breakfast every day? I do yeah, I do. And what is that? What is that breakfast. production like? It's, and is it just it's not you? Very much. Yes. Yeah. It's just me. So what time do you come down? Six. Oh, that's not so. Bad. No, it's not. I'm not. You know, doing bread. You're not production. like work, You're not on baker's hours. No, 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 no. <laughs> Um, breakfast hours. Yeah. So, you know, just the scones and the muffins and, yeah. you know, a quiche or something and yeah. fruit and granola and, you know, it's a buffet breakfast. Uh-huh. Um, because whilst that's happening, I'm in the kitchen doing production. Okay. For the rest of the day. Oh, okay. For dinner, for the truck. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. And then lunchtime comes and I hop on the truck. Um, God, you're busy. It's busy, yeah. It's really busy. How is it physically for you? It's really hard. It yeah. gets harder every year. Yeah. Do you exercise outside of the restaurant? Um, in the off season, I do. I can in on during the season. You mean because it's so busy? Because it's so busy. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. What kind of what do you do to stay fit? I mean, you're describing a very arduous lifestyle. Oh, and and when I tell you it's running. From the second I get out of bed, I'm not exaggerating. Mm-hmm. You can come to the restaurant at any given point and watch me run across the parking lot from the <laughs> truck to the restaurant, from the truck to the restaurant. Do you like that? I do. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of things get neglected because you're just so busy. Yes. It's like second to second. There's yeah. not a minute yes. to sit and reflect. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm staring at the walls. Like, yes. I got nothing. Yeah. I got nothing for anything or anybody. Yes. Yeah. You're a cook. Yep. You're yeah. still a cook. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and I do love that. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is hard. There are people I've known who, uh, you know, at some point they're like, they're done with that. They don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Then there are people I know who kind of pride themselves on being able, you know. Um, I'm one of those. Do you know Brian? <laughs> There's a guy named Brian B. Strong. He, Yes. Yeah, he's had various of his own restaurants. Yeah. Uh, he used to have a place called Brayburn in New York. For years, he was uh, Boulet's chef de cuisine. Um, you know, but when Brian was the chef at the Harrison, I remember he always made a point of working Saturday night at a time when that really wasn't Necessary. that normal for a chef de cuisine, right? And he said, I, I, I need to know I can hang with these guys. Like, I need to know. You're, yeah. you, you relate to yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Do you feel like... Actually, if I'm not the one working the hardest and the longest, yeah. I'm like... Yeah, no, this is not how it should be. I need wow. to. I know it's sick. Do you feel like being a dancer earlier in your life sort mm-hmm. of conditioned Trained you for, me for yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. It did. I don't know that I've ever sat. I've never had a job where I sat down. Mm. Ever. Um, and it's just, I, yeah, I guess it's my metabolism. Your, your baseline of energy seems to be 
pretty high. Pretty high. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can we talk about this book? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So the Love last to. I've known the book the last course before I ever met you. Um, certainly before you'd ever heard of me. Um, it's a classic dessert cookbook. Um, you wrote this with at the time somebody who wasn't that well known. The unknown a, a young, Melissa Clark. Yes, a young, a young. I was going to make a Beatles joke, like a young lady from Liverpool. No, um, a young lady from New York. But Melissa Clark, who's now a star in Super her own star. right, yeah, yeah. was yeah. your collaborator. Yeah. Um, tell me first of all. Tell me about how, the, as much as you, as much as you're able to at this point. Um, Tell me about the book as it first happened in your life. What, what, why did you want to do a book? Because I think that's a different answer for a lot of people. Um, and, 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 uh, and how did you feel delving back into it after all these years? Like a lot of things, um, I, I had to be kind of talked into it. Mm-hmm. So it was really Danny Meyer's idea. He thought it was time for you mm-hmm. and the restaurant to have a dessert book? Yeah. This was kind of the unofficial Gramercy Tavern dessert book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a, you know, we had, we were, I guess a lot of literary agents and businesses and things were in the Flatiron District at that point. Yeah. And so we had a very large literary um, scene at Gramercy Tavern for lunch. Especially at lunch. Yeah. A lot of editors, a lot of agents, a lot of publishers. Yes. Exactly. I think probably still the case. Yes. Yeah. And David Black was one of our very dearest regulars. And I should say David's an agent. Yes. Also my agent. Yeah. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. Do I know that? I'm I don't sure know. you told I guess me. not. Um, yes, that doesn't mean anything. I forget everything. Um, <laughs> he thought I should sit down with David, and David would help me flush out, you know, what it should be, kind of. Yeah. Um, however, Melissa and I had done... At that point, they were doing chef's columns in oh, the New York sure. Times. Yeah, the that six, was like an eight-week yeah, cycle where you would exactly. do a recipe and a head note. Yep. Yeah. And so Melissa and I did that together mm-hmm. and hit it off great, famously. Loved mm-hmm. it. We loved working together. Um, and so we just kind of got together and started thinking about what an appropriate... Um, I guess interpretation would be of what was happening at Gramercy because there aren't very many restaurant-plated desserts in the book. That's kind of its own thing at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but very much like the identity of Gramercy Tavern, I wanted it to be very democratic. And I, I wanted it to be approachable and accessible. And um, I wanted home cooks to want to read it as much as professionals. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of deconstructed and um, the desserts at Gramercy. And in they, order to make them fit that mission. Yeah. So you, you, you kind of identified their essence, yes. if I'm understanding you, yep. Yep. and then figured out a way to realize that in some kind of probably above average, but not perf- uh, above average home kitchen, but not... Dif- no, I, not, I mean, yes, maybe a little above average. If little it, above it was your first, yeah. you know, foray yeah. into making dessert. Yeah, but if you not, were like a reasonable, reasonably yes. experienced home cook, mm-hmm. you would be able to do this with success Absolutely. and not feel like you were botching some kind of a... And Melissa was very key to that mm-hmm. as, because she was writing for 
the times even yep. then. And, yep. you know, things just had to be that way. You know, yes. You want people to make the desserts yeah. or the, whatever recipes you're publishing. Yes. Um, and so my desserts were characteristically three, at least three components. So we would, like, pull the components out one by one, and each one of those components was in and of itself a dessert. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of deconstructed the canon of desserts at Gramercy and came up with that. Yeah. Okay. So this was this People was back. It. This was. Uh, I mean, this book's about twenty years old. Uh, eight, yep, two thousand one. Yep, almost. Yep. And and now it's been re. It, what what brought about the reissuing of it? Uh, you know, we have to find that out. I have no idea. Did it come through? David, your, it came through David. Came through David. <laughs> David reached out in the spring and he's like, "Random House wants to republish." I was like, "Okay, great." That was it. That was it. That's so funny. You were surprised? Yeah. Characteristically surprised? Yeah. You know, I mean, when you leave New York, you know, you kind right, of you fall into like, a yeah. black hole. Yeah. It's like you don't exist anymore. Yeah. Well, you you do exist. You assume other people think you don't exist. Right. Yes. <laughs> You're still getting up in the morning and making the oatmeal. <laughs> I love oatmeal. So what did you, is it the same book? It is. It is. It's the exact same book. Okay. No changes. The text is at the all. same. The intros are the same. The forwards the same. Yep. Oh, I think the blurbs might be different on the back. Aha. <laughs> oh, that makes sense because yeah, and the photo there's a blurb by Brooks Headley, right? Who now has uh, a superiority, superiority burger, but who was the right. pastry chef at Del Posto? And, yep. But Brooks wouldn't have been. Brooks was a kid when he was this a book baby. came yeah. out. Yeah. 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 But I mean, the praise is great. I mean, it's Brooks, Daniel Balud, Keller. Nancy Silverton. Do you have, are you able to talk about, do you have favorites? Recipes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are favorites of yours in here? What do you feel like really sums up, like, for you? Um, or has a particular sentimental value to you or a moment, you know, something when you thought you were like, oh, this is, like, you were really, yep. like, this is who I am. Yep. And on the plate. The panna cotta. Okay. And um, the chocolate caramel tart. Okay. What oh, did, and the tapioca. Tell me about those. Tell me about the panna cotta. I used to, you know, back in the day, there wasn't internet or yeah. I didn't have access to it if yeah. there was. And so I devoured books and magazines mm-hmm. from all over the world. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of um, Vogue Entertaining, mm. Australian Vogue. Okay. I heard of Australian Vogue, yeah. It was, but their cooking magazine mm-hmm. was so inspirational to me. Um, and it was also a time when photography was being, um, photographers went to all natural light and, um, super simple natural foods. It was, it, yeah, this is like, you're, it's funny you mentioned Australia. Cause I remember there was a moment where Australia yeah. was kind of driving like Donna. Yes, Hay. exactly. Yeah. And this was a she little was a before that. Yeah. Yeah. I think she might've been at Australian Vogue actually. Okay. Um, and but you'd see that so there'd be like a little a little smudge on the side of the right chocolate pudding cup or right, right that was new or the circle of the wine on yeah, the on the right, right? Yeah. that whole that thing. was like a new thing yeah <laughs> and you know everyone of course had heard of panna cotta sure this one was buttermilk and I was like this is it this is my thing like I can get so behind this and I can do. 85 million different variations of this. Mm-hmm. And I did for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and dressed it up and dressed it down and mm-hmm. made it the shining star of the plate, yeah. made it just like a component, a component, yeah. an accent. And it was just so fresh and light and everything that I wanted dessert to be. Yeah. Um, so that's where that came from. Okay. Um, the chocolate caramel tart was kind of my Calvin Klein moment. It was so simple, so streamlined. So I remember putting it on the plate at Gramercy and just putting the ice cream on and I looked at it and it was stark, like Mm -hmm. stark. Mm -hmm. So I made chocolate cigarettes to like put on the plate and Danny was like, no, you don't need those. You don't need those. so interesting. Danny always had a lot to say in the kitchen. Yeah, but to me, what's what's interesting about that to me is that, um, you know, that's something I would also expect Mr. Clicchio to have said. Yes, I mean, your, your style has seemed to me to be so compatible. Well, my style was, you know, a Influenced product by, of it. Yeah. Totally, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in large part, I was, I think, a frustrated cook. So I was just always, like, wanting to do what they did. You mean cook? You mean savory cook? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Which I think is how, again, how part of my style developed because I was taking components and putting them together yeah, yeah. as one would an yes. entree. Yeah. Instead of just having a piece of cake with a decoration yes. in it and calling that dessert, yes. I was like, no, I want to take all these different, like the cooks do. I want to do what the cooks Interactive. do. Interactive. Yeah. Yeah. So you can mix and match as yep. you're kind of eating your way through it. Yep. Yeah. And what was the third one you mentioned? Uh, the coconut tapioca. Okay. What about that? Well, that was... Um, travel inspired, mm-hmm. um, a trip to Thailand, okay. um, with a bunch of women chefs, um, led by Michael Guinor. Okay. Um, which was a great time. Uh, but you know, passion fruit, Thai basil, although I don't use Thai basil, I use Italian basil, mm-hmm. um, and the passion fruit and the coconut yeah. and they, you know, those big pearls were a big thing then. Yeah. Um, and apparently when I left Gramercy, there was like a revolution about that coming off the menu. So it's, it stayed on the menu for many, many years you, after I left. left there somebody, the new chef comes in, they're going to do their own menu. And then that was yes. something that, yeah. by popular demand. Yeah. Yeah. And I, would, and I would say to the general manager, Kevin Mahan, I'm like, Kevin, when are you going to take that off the dessert menu, that poor pastry chef? <laughs> like to be, you know, have to keep my dessert on the menu. It's like, it's not fair to them. It's like, everybody wants it. And I'm like, okay. That's interesting. Well, that's a whole philosophical thing. Yeah. Because I'm always going to be on the customer side of that. Although I know enough chefs to understand why one wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. 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 But if people are clamoring for it, what are you going to do? Then come to Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect way to end the interview. <laughs> Come to the North Fork Table and End. North Fork Table and End. Yes, I would recommend going to the North Fork Table and End. That's where this interview started. It's a charming facility. The book is, I don't need, I should, I should, is the book out? November 12th. So I will air this show either within a day or two before or after pub date. So Cool. But the official pub date is November 12th. It is the last course by Claudia Fleming with Melissa Clark. Claudia, it's been so... After spending no time with you ever. I know, right? This is so yes, fun. Yes, the last couple of months. This is our third uh, <laughs> I'll have to write a new book so you can interview me no, again no, no. or well, something. No, no, no. We'll come visit. We'll come visit. <laughs> we'll um, play tennis. 
we'll play tennis. That's a whole thing we didn't have time for. Um, all right, great to see you. Great. Thanks to for see making you. the time. Thank you so much, Andrew. And that's our show for this week. A huge thanks to Claudia Fleming for making time twice <laughs> to complete that interview. Jeff Gordonier. That's it. Thank you very much. Stuck the landing. Thank you, Andrew Friedman. <laughs> thanks for joining. <laughs> Always great to have you here. Thank you. To David Tattashore, our engineer. Thank you very much for splicing these things together. Heritage Radio Network is a co-producer of Andrew Talks to Chefs. Thanks to all of you out there for listening, and we will see you back next week with another new episode.